Welcome to episode 355 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Alright guys, welcome along to episode 355 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Isles. How you going mate? I'm good, thank you Bevan. I've just chowed down on a uh, an M's, whoops, pulling my things, an M's Power Cookie Bar, a peanut chocolate bomb. Just they chewing that last, chew. they chewing really that last little morsel there. Question is John, you went mm. for a swim before the, before the show today? Crazy. What time were you at the pool? I was at the pool, 5.30, doors opening. Were you waiting at the door? Yeah, there was a crowd there waiting. you getting a dirty look? I put a few fins in to be first in. Did you? Give them push pass. Lining up my lane, because uh, it's, it's only a five-lane small pool. And it's a small pool. Re- ready to jump in, some guy jumps in front of me. Oh, really? Yeah. Just as the dive in front of your yeah. trick? But he was a good swimmer, so it was okay. So it was just you two in the lane? Yeah. Many other people in the pool? Yeah, it's a few. A few. A few old yeah. people walking around the lazy river? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they do, do they yeah. do. They go the opposite direction, don't they? Strong start to the show today. Well, <laughs> we haven't got much news, in case you didn't know. <laughs> the Lazy River section, that's, we should bring that up every week. Who won the Lazy River race? Yes. My nana's there. She, you might have seen my nana. That nana Scott. A, that would be a good challenge to do. A Lazy River relay. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. I do yeah. like the Lazy River. Mm. It's not very big at that pool, but is it? Mm. Anyway, I Am Talk is proudly brought to you by... Coffeesofwire.com. Tell you what, you, did you have that before you swim? I did not, but it Fatal would have helped because I had a woeful swim. Oh, really? Athletes, Why? Oh, just speed was not where I wanted it to be. Uh-uh. Bitterly disappointed. Athlinks.com. Um, it's social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer to make you better. Trainingpeaks.com are back. Oh, Training Peaks are back in the house. We're going to interview with them on the show today. So it's all good in the house. SLSTry.com. Oh, SLSTry sports clothing stuff. You don't normally tell... You, you, You've always confused me because ah. what we've done over the years is we've often have, we, we aim for four sponsors in a show. And we're keeping it at four, and we're, although we're talking to training picks today. But but so so you know, and at the beginning of the show, he always just does three, but we have four, and I never quite got it. Yeah, okay. So you're changing there, are you? I'll explain it to you later. <sighs> I just, I'm guys, we we are having some some new sponsors coming coming on board, but we're going to be keeping it to four per show because we. So uh, we're going to rotate in and out, are we? Yes. Okay, great. We don't, we don't want to have too much uh, no. too much sponsorship. We kind of think nowadays the show's two hours, so we've got one sponsor for every half an hour. It's pretty fair. In New Zealand, if you're listening, not non-New Zealanders, on our TV. We have 15 minutes of advertising for no, hour. it's 20 an hour. It's 20 an hour. Yeah, it's 20 yeah, an hour. Yeah. On TV. Yeah. It's That's when you want to get one of those recordable boxes. That's what I've got. Yeah, and you realise how much time you're wasted watching ads. Yeah. Yeah. Or on, or on we, a couple of days a year, Christmas, and this, this is what came up this week. It was on, I think it was on Easter Sunday or something like that, where they have, they're not allowed to have ads. And you just sort of see, suddenly see TV shows going to 40, 45, 40 to 45 yeah. minutes from an hour. Well, anyway. even like, like podcasting, you know, we, ad, we advertise and most of the podcasts I listen to advertise. But even then, it tends to be about one per half an hour seems to be what most podcasts do. And then you go and listen to radio mm. and it's like every five minutes another ads are coming on. So, mm. yeah, you know, you got to make your money, but... We think we've got a pretty good ratio happening here. Anyway, in this week's show, we've got a bit of news. We've got an interview. We've got two interviews, John. Yep, so we've got the guys from Training Peaks talking through um, some of the Melbourne analysis and also what they're, they're planning on doing. And also, we're going to look into – it's a bit of an Ironman Melbourne show. I know it was um, a week and a half ago now, but uh, – Well, it's come out of it, hasn't it? Yeah, Russell yeah. Cox has come on as well talking about uh, the, the numbers of people going through T1 and, and perhaps why there was such issues on the bike in terms of the – large drafting packs 
Okay, John, this week's news. We started off last week's show, and I, because John was saying there's some sound problems last week, so I went and listened to last week's show. I don't do that a lot, a lot nowadays. And the first piece we started last week was the cricket. Yes. And we've had a lot of emails, yeah. especially from our Pommy listeners, yeah. saying, what happened with the win? We didn't lose. So yeah. that was, I was pretty <laughs> glad about Did that. Did you watch it? Uh, no, I didn't. Apparently it's a pretty exciting ending. Oh, yeah. I mean, you guys... Yeah, hold on. Another over, and it would have been all over. Yeah, Rover. over and it was over. Yeah, over so, Rover because well done, uh, Poms, for holding on. How, yeah, but still, we took the moral victory. That's right, because we were way worse than you guys. <laughs> anyway, uh, no races are really happening at the moment. We've got South Africa coming up on the fourteenth of April, so it's kind of quiet season. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, no racing going on, so not a lot of news. Well, that's news done for this week, you know. Yeah. Um, April Fool's joke. What, what, what happened with the ITU? Well, the ITU had a good one actually, and uh, like, you fell for one one year, didn't you? You mm. even did a news piece on it. Yeah, that, that was the, the Abu, the, Abu, Abu the Dhabi mall. mall time frame, and I still think that would be legit. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, yesterday on the news last night, um, slightly different scenario, but they had uh, Usain Bolt did a 150 meter race. They built a, a platform yeah, and a track on in Rio on the beach, and, and this would be no. I don't see why. Uh, that's why it was a good April Fools because riding through a mall, you shut everything down and put a little thing. It'd be pretty technical, pretty hard, but. I could see it happening. Anyway, I might well, It's interesting that sport is going to spectators nowadays mm. instead mm. of maybe so much in the past was more spectators go to sport. Mm. It seems like a lot of these niche kind of sports are, are moving to where the spectators are. Totally. Um, but I you had a good one. There's, uh, there's a couple of Russian brothers, um, Polyansky brothers, and there's also the Brukanov brothers. And uh, they said the Polyansky brothers have been banned from competing in the same races together because they have an unfair advantage. And there's all these scientific studies show that when they race together, they both perform better, which is probably actually true. Is it? I, I don't know, but the, the story was like the, you'd say the same. If the Brownies race together, do they do they do better? Is yeah. that they race alone? Who knows? But they were saying so they've been banned. They're still allowed to race, but they're not allowed to go in the same ITU events together. <laughs> I was reading, really going, really? <laughs> it did take me a while to click. Um, that was a good one. I didn't really see any because I was going to wait. I was kind of on driving back from uh, Wanaka, so I didn't really mm. kind of get any of the April Fool's jokes out there in the world. Mm. John, we you didn't have this in the show notes, but we got a lot of emails about this. I'm in Melbourne. There was a, a clip from one of the swim helpers. Mm-hmm. Um, and with a GoPro on their head. With a GoPro or, on their or head. Something like yeah, that. Yeah, something like that. And uh, it just showed some people basically cheating and cutting the course. And I'm going to defend some of those people a little bit. Oh, John's, John's supporting the <laughs> cheats. Go, mate. Well, Give me your argument on this one. Well, um, and this comes purely based off, um, I had a couple of athletes racing over there and one of the females racing said to me that you know, at the start of the swim, they didn't really actually know where they were going. She just said she followed a bunch of people and they weren't quite sure where, where they were going. There was boys out there and they weren't quite sure which ones they were supposed to go around. The swim boys were moving and it was incredibly rough. So I'm, what I'm, all I'm saying is, yes, there's going to be some cheating bastards out there that, that intentionally <laughs> cut the course, is. but at the same time, the, the level of chop that they had in that course, you probably most of the time you wouldn't be able to see the swim boys, and um, I just empathise a little bit with those people who are who absolutely be crapping their dacks out there in the swim, worried a little bit about their life and their livelihood, and yeah, I, I, I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm defending them, but I'm not. You know, some of them I think it could have been an honest mistake. Um, Although there were people who were saying next boy, and they just turn around and yeah. So I'm giving. Give, some people clearly went off course. Um, 
I think the thing, is, the so thing is about Melbourne, like, and we're going to talk more Russell about if, this later so, on. If this if this has been in any other race, and if they had the conditions been calm, and if people were cutting course, I'd be all into them. But there was, was a few other mitigating circumstances. Yeah, and that's the thing. This Melbourne race was one of those unique situations where it wasn't the same, and it caused like the drafting. We will talk to Russell about this later on. It caused situations that we may not see so much of. You know, like this type of thing happening in this one. We don't really hear of people cutting the course. Now, no. when you think about it, how easy would it be to cut courses normally? Um, reasonably challenging, I think. Yeah, but you think about we have quite a few. Um, you could easily just, you know, duck under and go. Yeah, if, if, you, if you did it really sneakily in terms of doing a big underwater um, yeah. dive and going, if you could get a good 20 metres underwater, then probably you could do it in, in, in rote, for example. But you like have New Zealand, to, you couldn't you'd have to, to go well pretty, across. You'd have to be pretty scheming because I, I, I don't know when I when I have um, when I put on events, you've generally got some surf lifeguards. You know, you've got two or three around each boy, and uh, they're keeping an eye because that's often where you have some some issues. So they'll be keeping an eye on people for for, for really blatantly cutting course. So I think in slightly in calm conditions. Um, I think you're going to be fairly challenged and it would have to take a pretty devious person to, to do it. Well, I'm, I'm sure it's happened. And I think the thing that probably which would make it a little bit easier is in a mess start where you've got over 2,000 people in the swim is that if I turn around, sure they might see me do it, but what are you going to do? I'm going to get caught up in the pack pretty quickly. Mm, yeah. You know, so I don't like. I, I doubt many people do it, and I don't think many people go into an Ironman going, "That's my strategy." But just it's something we have really never talked about. So, speaking of swim starts, John, Ironman Austria are now going to be starting their swim start a little bit different. So, fifteenth Ironman Austria, and they're basically saying what we're going to be doing is having a two wave starts. We're going to have a wave start of four hundred athletes, which has the pros or the pros and your people who have elite age, elite age group yeah, is basically yeah, basically and then I think 2,800 it's 2,400 are going to be doing the, the other swim so. so this is a step in the right direction and I, I believe um, do you think this is the way to go about well to a degree um I think Russell actually implied when we interviewed him later on that this may already happen at other Ironman races in Europe. It maybe happens in Germany. Germany. Yeah. yeah, it happens in Germany. Um, so I think, it, I, think it's a, it's, I think it's a good idea. Um, I, I, you're probably going to have some some more drafting issues by having uh, that number of athletes going at once, you know, because they're probably going to be pretty compacted. But again, you 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 know, you take out of you keep the head-to-head racing going. Um, so I quite like it. I, I think with Austria, though, I mean. If you're starting 2,400 people together, you're still going to have massive drafting issues. Um, I think the funny number to choose, 400 out of two, you know, 208. Yeah, don't know why they chose they it. They did say on the site, they said a couple of things, they said you've got to register to do it. But the mm. interesting thing was that you had to register your best Ironman time since 2011. Mm. So it's not your best swim time. So mm. you could be an absolute crap swimmer, and although you probably wouldn't be in a bigger pack if that was the case, yeah. um, and then go through from there. They also did some analysis on the German race saying that in Germany, 50% of the, because they were saying, well, people were saying, well, what, those people have got to be a chance of qualifying for Kona. Mm. And in Germany, it tends to work out 50-50. So mm. 50% of people come from that faster pack, but then the other 50 will still come from that slower pack. So, interesting. So, cool. I, I like the idea of having an, an elite wave, and it also um, potentially takes a bit of the aggro out of the um, the main pack in terms of the, the bashing and smashing. But does it? Well, I would have thought it takes a little bit out. Yeah. A little bit. Not a lot. Just a little bit, even. So what do you reckon more aggro, more aggro in ITU, eh? You guys are angry, aren't you? At the elite level? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's, um, the uh, uh, ITU World Champ Series, that's a, that's a shit fight, man. <laughs> they are beating the living daylights out of each other. Because I was talking to Fiona Crombie, you know, yeah. Yeah, for Christchurch, she's trying to make it in the triathlon ranks, and uh, she was saying she just didn't realise how aggressive this one star would be. Oh, yeah. And, <laughs> and she's and a pretty stocky girl. She could hold her own. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's pretty full on. 
Yeah. Not so, that I've been in there for, for a long time, but it, yeah. Did you have a biffo? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the news is an uppercut. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't actually handle it very well. No, oh, didn't you? I, I got anaerobic very... Some people are really good at handling that, and they're, they're weaker swimmers, but they can just handle, handle that, that combat a bit, bit better, and I wasn't very good. How long does it go for? Oh, you pretty all, all the way around the course. Oh, really? Yeah. He's getting beaten up the whole time. Well, it's a pretty, confi- pretty full-on pack. It's not fist, fist fights, but there's no, you know... Climbing over it's, top it's, of each other. It's, it's pretty tight racing. What's the worst experience you've ever had? Off the top of my head. Let's just no. Come on, John. No, I haven't got anything bad. Oh, really? I mean, I punched the guy in the face and <laughs> broke his nose, and he lost an eye. But he God. lost an eye. <laughs> oh, pirate, it's pirate just, Smith. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Ocean side seventy point three. See, we're desperate. We're talking seventy point threes, guys. Uh, the California seventy point three happened last weekend, and Andy Potts took it out at ten seconds. Sounds like it was a pretty interesting race. Yeah, and and. Uh, these days, you know, often we look at impressive results and go, oh, somebody's on drugs, or oh, the course is short. And um, when I looked at this result and saw Andy and the, the run splits, 110 Um And I think we have seen splits quicker than that, but I just thought, man, that is fast. And I thought, oh, I wonder if it was short. But I actually had a guy racing there, and um, I had a quick look at his GPS, and uh, he measured it at, his GPS measured it at 20 point. Nine two kilometers, so, so pretty accurate. Yeah, so you yeah. know, two hundred meters take, out, so cutting corners, forty five, yeah. potentially about forty five seconds um, short. So still, it's a one ten to one eleven uh, result. He, man, that guy is a he is a big unit. We've interviewed him before. I wouldn't mess with him. I, I tell you what, if I was in the order of him, mate, I'd be staying away from him. Yeah, and for him to run that, well, you'd, he'd just swim yeah, away yeah, from exactly. him anyway. Um, <laughs> but for him, for, for not to come from a running background. And develop himself into a kick-ass runner, and really just drilling some some really good runners there. Well, um, the guy who came second, Jesse Thomas, he is a former. Now, John, what does All American mean? Oh, I'm I, not don't, I don't get the All American thing. I think maybe no. I, I, somebody can somebody email us, and then we'll get a proper explanation. My understanding is you sort of get is it a selected, certain level? Yeah, no, I don't know actually. Yeah, it's a silly. Th- yeah. Yeah. He's All American. All American. <laughs> <laughs> all American swimmer. Yeah. <laughs> all American. It was an all American steeplechaser. Oh, Kevin, you're an all New Zealander. I'm an all, all, all Kiwi, mate. All yeah. Kiwi, bro. Yeah. Um, and so he's an all American steeplechaser, and he had the lead, and Potts chased him down and caught him off like 200 meters to go and just went for it. Yeah. No. So it would have been a really exciting race. Very impressive. Very impressive. Andy Potts, 70.3 is his What distance. was interesting, he had two minutes faster swim than last year, mm-hmm. but five of the guys were on his toes. Mm-hmm. So he didn't actually break away. Mm. Girls could have been tactical. Um, I don't know, a couple of other interesting things that came out of that is um, guys that perhaps didn't race quite, quite so well was uh, Frederick Van Leer down there and in, uh, in eighth place. Um, only ran a one sixteen. Um, Tim Donald ten. Tim, Tim O'Donnell um, was in was in tenth. So a few guys. Brad Carter felt only managed eighteenth place. Got spanked silly on the bike. Who knows? He may have had a, a some a puncture or something like that. Um, but he only managed. Uh, yeah. What's happening with Brad Carter felt? Well, I know he did another half, um, and he had a puncture or a drafting infringement there, and whether or not he had the same there. But he's he's losing nine or ten minutes. Those guys on the bikes, so something's something's not right there. Would have you expected him to be doing better? Yes. How much better? Well, I, just, I don't actually know. How, that's the thing. When guys some when guys come out of ITU ranks, you don't know how good they are on the bike, and uh, and either, he's either not that good, or he's just had some bad luck, or he's just not in the right sort of he's condition. He's a pretty good yet. ITU guy, wasn't he? Oh, he's, a, he's really good. His swim's not. He, he did struggle a bit with the swim. Yeah, he normally would make the pack. He's not like a macker and be way off the back, but he was often in second or third pack and getting getting pulled up. But he was. He's an exceptional runner. Now he won't come off games, didn't he? 
last Commonwealth. Where were the last Commonwealth the games? Where were the last Commonwealth Games, Bevan? Uh, it was Melbourne, India. India. The triathlon wasn't there. No, but who won the one? Didn't he win? Uh, I can't remember if Peter Robinson. He, may, he probably did. No, Robinson was. Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure it was Catafelt. Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably would have been. I can't remember. That's the first time I've ever pulled you up on some ITU yes, history. You have. Yes. Yes. One for me. Yeah. Um, USA. Heather Jackson took it out. The girls. She's had. She's got some impressive results behind her, and she she did that pretty pretty comfortably. Uh, four four thirteen in front of Heather Wordle, Lin, Lin, Leslie Patterson, Lindsay Corbin. Strong field. Oh, yeah. Joycey and Marinda Carfrey didn't go so well down there in seventh and eighth place. Joycey, what's going on? Oh, they, well, uh, Tim, field, Tim from Hemming. Yeah. From Hemming. Yeah. <laughs> he was saying it's your first back into the season. Just give, mm-hmm. him, give him a couple of weeks, John. Same first for most people. Yeah, well, give him a couple of weeks. Nah, Joycey, pick up your game. Joycey, I'm giving you a couple of weeks. It was a really strong field, even the guys' field. It was a really strong yeah, field. Yeah, obviously California draws mm-hmm. them in. Um, ITU update, John. What's happening in Auckland? No one's turning up. What's the point of having this Auckland race? No, it's on. Uh, I'm turning up, Bevan. Oh, so, in that case, so let's put it out. back on. Yeah, so, uh, no, it's, I mean, it's, you, you, you're missing um, Alistair Brownlee, but still very strong field with, um, uh, I, thought, some, I thought the other Brownlee was racing. But no, anyway, he's no not. Brownlee. Gomez is there. The Russians are there. Um, it's, it's, it's a brilliant, brilliant race because of the, the nature of the course. It would probably be actually be almost be better as a sprint course, I reckon. And just get the guys out on the bike and just tear their legs off for 20Ks over that course rather than Olympic. You still will see some breaks, but you've got to be a little bit conservative when you're going for 40Ks, whereas 20Ks, you can just throw caution under the wind. There's a, it's, a, it's a, how many laps? It must be, it must be about an eight-lap bike course. A couple of solid. So this weekend, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. A couple of solid hills each lap. Um, last year we saw, uh, it was the finale of the series, we saw um, Brownlee, Junior and yep. uh, Richard Vargas smoke off the front and then get caught by a pack. But Didn't Gomez, Gomez came through and, and took, took took the win there. Yeah. So Gomez should should take it pretty easy. But I'm sure we're going to see a bit of action on the bike, um, and especially the Russian boys will probably try to, to lay the smack down a bit. So I'm looking forward to. It. I'll be watching on the sidelines. Not see many girls. Yeah, but still, it's not. Still, it will still be. Good. You got Annie Hug, who she's going to be the uh, sensation this year. She she won the last race last year, and um, she she had the, the wood on a few of the girls there. So Newsom's racing. Yep, yep. How's Talk about feeling? it later. Uh, expectations are in the right place. <laughs> in the right place, are they? Yeah. Okay. Sponsor Extreme Endurance. I went onto their Facebook page this morning Did just to sort of, uh, see, what see, what, see what they're up to. A lot of good pro athletes taking extreme endurance people. If you want to get on it, you got uh, Bevan. My, my, my Apple's not working for me. There we go. Well, don't talk uh, to me. Tim, you go through here and you see the results popping up. Timo Brach, eight-time European champion, three-time no three-time European champion, eight-time Ironman winner. You had uh, they've also got you know they always post up their the good age group is up there. A couple of guys there. Uh, Doing the old lean over a bit with their tops off and sh- showing the abs just to make sure that they've got the flicks going. Ladies, ladies. Um, Timo Brack, he's won lots of races. Isn't he? he has. But then you got. Uh, he has three tablets in the AM and three tablets in the PM. Yeah, result. Yeah. Uh, Margin Weird, she was down in uh, winning a, a race recently. You got. Uh, Good old Yvonne Van Vlerken was down there smoking it the other day. Was in uh, Melbourne yeah, coming, coming through the through race. the results. Um, and Jeez, those CrossFit girls look fit, don't they? They do. They do look fit, women. They do. Yeah. Poor. Yeah. <laughs> We're just looking at the CrossFit girls. Tell you somebody else who had a good, good result uh, at the weekend. Leslie Patterson, who's an extreme endurance athlete, and uh, she's switching over from the Xterra to yeah. 70.3s, and she finished up, was it third, was it? 
Yep. Maybe. Third, yeah. Uh, for the 417, four so slightly slightly weaker in the swim. Lost a bit of time on the bike, but uh, came home with a 116.21. Uh, main reason for that 116, Bevan? Extreme endurance. There you go. Look at that, mate. So if you're looking, guys, if you are looking for a little bit of edge in your training to help get rid of that lactic buffer, just get onto xendurance.com and they'll be posting it out to you. And now, again, if you want to get it from the Hong Kong region of the world, you go to... Uh, O2 Creation Creation. and uh, also if you're in Colombia listening in Colombia here I saw a post on there that they now have a distributor in Colombia so any athletes down there get on the Colombian get get on their Facebook page Leslie Patterson yeah pro athlete entrepreneur braveheart screenwriter really yeah she likes to to to, to drop a few f bombs. They had a little picture of her. She she must stuff. she must have won some award at the um, competitor group put on some endurance sports awards. Yep. and she got up there and dropped a few f bombs. Did she good on yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, she was liking that. So uh, get on it, guys. She looks like a pretty happy character. She's doing this public talk here. Yeah, yeah. I'm on I'm on the x endurance. This, this I haven't had my three tablets this morning, which is probably why I didn't have a very good. That's swim. where you went wrong, John. But certainly pumping it this week, uh, going into. My Auckland race. Yeah, you look need, out, man. people in my age group. Look oh, so out. now you now the expectations have been lifted. Just got to just got to do the intimidation. Oh, yeah, nice. Lull like them. Like Swanee, we're going to get onto that later l- on the show. Lull them into this little sort of. Oh, he's not in very good shape, and then just smack them. And then they don't know what what game. Will it be a bring. very good field? Uh, I've got no idea. There's no start list or anything up there. How many don't, how many age group athletes will they get? They've got no start list up there. So how many will they get? They've got no start list up there. <laughs> I don't know if it's wave starts or anything like that. It's uh, that's yeah. a bit disappointing. It, yeah, I, I don't know how many people are racing, but oh, to you, sharpen up. Yeah, he hates pulling on them. Got to look after the age groupers. Okay, John. So last week we had a discussion of the week, um, and it, basically you kind of came up with the idea of what's going to happen. We, we're looking at wave starts, and one thing we're worried about in the sport, and, and I think someone's come up with what I've been saying for a long time, John, and our answer. But basically. Should we have to qualify, or not qualify, but qualify that you've done a distance of at least a 70.3 swim if you're going to do an Ironman race? And uh, we've got lots of feedback on this one, John. And do you want to start off? Yes, yeah, so probably the best post, I think this is what Bevan's probably alluding to, is Tony Hodge. She um, referred us to an article on the good, our good friends at endurancecorner.com. And Larry, Larry Creswell, Creswell um, posted up there. Uh, and he, he's basically done a study with... Um, USAT, so their triathlon association, as to um, you know, are, are more people dying? What's what's going on? And it's a really good article. So go to endurancecorner.com, um, and we'll have a link on our site. But this, probably, I might as well read out a couple of his points because that just kind of shoots down everything else that we had in terms of uh, whether more people are dying and whether it's really science an issue. is here, John. I've told you, read the book. So we can dispel some common common misconceptions. This is not a problem of beginners. Well, wait a second. Before he goes there, he basically says that if we look at WSAT sport races, one athlete dies in every 75,000 participants. If we look at um, marathons, for example, it's one in 100,000. And then if you look at half marathons, it's one in 300,000. So that's that's kind of the ratio of people who are dying in our sport. Of those people in the swim, the people who are dying, or do you want to go into that stuff now? Yeah, so often they talk about sports-related sudden cardiac arrest, SCA, which is basically having... Heart attack, yeah, basically, basically having yeah. a heart attack, um, and it, obviously the numbers are, are not quite as good for triathlon. Um, so, and, and, and in saying that, as much as we are, a lot of the stuff Sean's going to say right now is it does tend to happen in the swim, the deaths mm. that are happening in triathlon. So it's got that of the thirty-eight non-traumatic deaths that happened. Uh, maybe he hasn't got time period here, but probably within a year. 
Um, 30 occurred in a swim, three on the bike, two on the run, and two after the race. So, and, and all of them, other than one, were the sudden cardiac yeah, arrest. Yeah, and I think there was, a, there was a few bike crashes, but not yep. many. Um, okay, so common misconceptions. This is not a problem for beginners and is not a problem with swimming ability. Mm. The fatality rate has not increased in more recent years. The number of fatalities has paralleled the growth in participation rate in, in triathlon. Mm. The rate is not related to using or not using a wetsuit. The fatality rate is not related to the type of swim start, mass, mm. wave start, time trial, no particular start method appears to be the safest. The fatality rate is not related to the length of race. Um, so I guess that basically sums it up that... Actually, it's just this is a sad part of our sport, but if anything, it's just saying it's pretty similar. Yeah, so I mean, um, if, m- m- the notion that I put out there, does a 70.3 going to reduce the rate of deaths at Ironman? No. He has got some athletes' it. responsibilities. He's got you got to stay up, you know, do turn up to the race, race healthy. Um, he's got to show up, um, race fit and prepare. But he has got during the swim, um, be vigilant at the very sign of distress, which might manifest with chest pains, shortness of breath, coughing, unexplained fatigue or weakness. Immediately stop and seek help. This could save on your life basically at the end of the day. So he is saying, if you are on a swim mm. and you feel those types of now that's a hard one isn't it because <laughs> very, you know, very th- those are, yeah those are pretty broad kind of things to be looking at like shortness mm. of breath come on we're all going to experience that mm. in a, at the start of an Ironman swim but chest pain you know I don't think I've ever experienced chest pain when I've been in a race it's one of those things how do you measure chest pain I sometimes have a few little heart palpitations and I'm like ooh <laughs> I'm like oh my shit it's when Belinda walks in the room isn't <laughs> yeah. it <laughs> so this, that's tricky but if something I think general thing is if something's just out of the ordinary and you're getting a couple of those things happening might be time just to pull over the side a bit and have yeah. a bit of a thing put the old arm up general it, rule is you know, that's the thing often we talk about you know nutrition and things like that you give up a minute in the swim by looking after your well-being and veering on the side of caution if it's an iron man not really going to have a massive impact no, on your day. No. Um, if you're trying to win your age group in Kona and you miss a pack or something like that, yeah, it's, it's going to have an impact, but you'd probably rather be living than uh, than dying. It's a hard subject to talk about because the implication of death is massive and, and it's you know it's a sad thing to happen. But to say that we only get one in every 75,000 participants, you know, it's actually a pretty minor thing. Like mm. it's very, very minor. And, and to get a report like this is good because I think you know, a lot of the time we get statistics or we see things happening, you know, like this happened on the show over the last period of time, you know, the argument has been that there's more deaths in the sport and actually it's kind of coming and saying, he's coming and saying, well, it's not. And um, Well, there is, but it's, it's Yeah, but it's proportionate yeah, as a percentage. Um, you know, and it doesn't mean that we want to try reduce that number even more, but at the same time, the sport isn't getting worse. So um, do you want to read some of the discussion or not? Yeah, but I, so I guess the other, other side of this argument is, okay, not, doing a 70.3 is not going to um, yeah, pro- 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 probably not going to fix the, the death rate or anything like that but is doing a 70.3 going to mean people are better prepared for the race day and enjoy it a little bit more, some people will say respect the distance a little bit more, not just treat it as a... How many people do you think do an Ironman without doing a 70.3 beforehand? You know like you know, maybe even, even if we just say in training um, I don't know, I'd just be plucking a number out of my butt but I'd say it's probably more than what people would think you know, you look at Ironman New Zealand the numbers of 
first timers versus I, I, a number that rings a bell in my head is about 450 out of uh, say 1500 or something first time I'm in athletes but then do you think those guys and would have so, experienced a half well I, and, and I would probably go on to say that maybe maybe up to a third of them may not have done a half that's just a, a guess I mean they might have the, the stats on that I hadn't I didn't do a half but I would, yeah. would have definitely covered the distances well in training mm. yeah so and I think one a lot of you guys are saying, oh, this is a bunch of rubbish and, and people should know better. And what I've learned from race directing is, unfortunately, you cannot give yeah. people the, uh, the, stupid. The, the common sense. And they don't know what they don't know. You hear people saying that, don't know. Yeah. And they don't have a clue. No. And the other dynamic that we forget about, like I know of my running groups, when I first had my running groups, I think I've talked to this before, but you know, the first time when I started five years ago, it was 12 people. And so it was just me on a bike following 12 people around. It was pretty mm-hmm. easy. And then the next group, we went up to like 40 people. And uh, the, the first day, someone went around a corner and someone crossed the road where they weren't meant to. And everyone just crossed the road behind them. And I just mm-hmm. fear crap myself because, you know, this was main roads, cars were coming, mm-hmm. and I, like it could have been disastrous. And so for some reason, in group experiences, we just become a bit stupid. You know, and you've got people like myself who never even look at the road courses and stuff like that, mm. you know. And then, you know, you get the anal people who go real anal. And then you get, you know, the other end of the spectrum, which are more like myself, who you kind of, you know, some the guy in front of me will know it. That's mm. always my philosophy. Mm. And uh, and so, as a race director, you've, you know, how do you make the course safe as possible for those, for all types of people? Because even Stillwell goes on, absolute rubbish. If you don't realise uh, an Ironman is difficult and you need to prepare, then you are completely whole bunch of symbols stupid um and and i agree to that but i'm just i want to come back to the point that people are just sometimes totally clueless they see they see the iron man on tv they might even see it a few months i had a guy come to me once um and it was literally you know maybe six to eight weeks before iron man new zealand hadn't done anything <laughs> i yeah, i want to do um iron man new zealand i meant it so did you, did you charge him up no i, didn't, I told him not to do it um <laughs> he entered yeah, it even entered. Yeah, I said I, I really don't think this is a good idea. Wow. Um, so we went yeah, to the next coach, probably. Yeah, yeah, I can't remember what the outcome. Uh, yeah, I, find, I find that self perception thing really interesting. There was an athlete I'm not going to name names. There was an athlete who came on the scene in Christchurch um, when I was kind of kind of in my good period. You know, when yeah. it's kind of I think of one I'm in New Zealand as an age grouper and. Um, they came along and he goes, "Oh, you know, I'm going to do some Ironman and the coast and stuff." I think you'll probably be able to figure it out pretty quickly, yeah. and. Uh, you know, and I'm going to go sub 10. I go, oh, yeah, good, good on you, mate. I think, oh, he's pretty sharp. Yeah. And I go, so what kind of tra- Oh, I haven't done no training yet. What, what race yet? Oh, I haven't done no, man. What, what, I haven't been done triathlon either. I'm thinking, where'd you put 14, 10 hours out of your butt? <laughs> you know, and he ended up doing, he did 14 hours and good on him. And I think he worked out and I think he actually got close to 10 hours as an athlete over the years. Yeah. But where did, where, where did people pull that original? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So there, there is a lot of posts on here. Um, 70 something, mate. That's one of our biggest ones. I know. Yeah. Lucy Gossage, the the doctor, uh, she she got on there and uh, and she sort of said similar sort of stuff. Let me just find. I've just hit a button and now it's all just disappeared, Bevan. Uh, Chris Mum sums it up. He says no. But boring <laughs> doctor comment. But is there any evidence that details uh, that shows that death rates are higher in Ironman versus halves? I don't know. For what it's worth, I expect most of the the sad deaths that do occur in endurance events are completely unpredictable, and people who died would probably have passed a basic medical test with no problems. I'd be very interested to see if there's any evidence regarding this, and if anyone has the time to dig it up. Well, we've dug it up. Well, we the guys totally at Endurance did. Corner dug it up. Yeah, they, we'll take the credit. But Tony Hodge and Endurance Corner, you guys rock. Yeah. So yeah, so interesting discussion, and uh, I think it's it's good news to hear that it's not getting worse in our sport. It is. You know, like it, we never want to hear of any deaths. 
If if you were a race director, Bevan, yep, and you were putting on an Ironman race, and you didn't have to be like most direct race directors, and that they just need they just need they the, the, if they, if they put this rule in place, you've got to do a seventy point three. That is going to affect their entry levels, and they're going to have probably a few less people entering. So it's that money. So if, if you if you're a race director and, and you're not too stressed about the money, you're not needing to make a big profit from it, or you've got a sponsor or something that's taking care of that. Do you think you'd have a rule in place that you have you you have to do a seventy point three um, or not? If I was a race director, would I say you have to do a seventy point three? Mm. And let's let's uh, let's just. Sorry. I'd, say, I'd say no. See, I think I probably would because I think I say no because I think you're at, you're an adult mm. and you should be personally responsible for yourself. And if you you know as you know as a lot of people have said here, you know it's an Iron Man mm. and. You know, is it my job to mother you through your process? Mm. And at the end of the day, I'm not sure if it is. I'm, I think the race director's job is to put a race on, and then it's your personal responsibility as an athlete to make sure you're prepared for that race. Because you know, like, what point if, if I start saying I'm a race director and you have to fit criteria? Well, then you know, what what criteria do you add? More criteria for people to do your race? Uh, yeah, I don't. I, yeah, I don't know whether I would or I wouldn't. But one thing I th- I'm pretty confident I would do. Um, is maybe have a tick box saying is this have you done a half or something like that and if you didn't I just don't think that that the race organisers make a big enough effort to make sure that those clueless people have a bit of a clue whether it be you you have a list of people that are newbies that you send a a monthly training programme to or something like that or just some assistance you could could have on your website are you prepared you know Mm. like you know that you sign up you have to read before you sign up or something Mm. that says you know these are the things that you probably need to be of base level of if you're yeah. going to do an Ironman I just don't think it's the race director's job to make sure like they're not there to mother you they're there to put on mm. a race and you know and uh, yeah I don't know yeah it's just an interesting one John if I was a race director because I had this brilliant yeah. idea the other day okay. what I would do I was just thinking of this the other day because what happens is you finish the race and how are you feeling John? a little tired well no everybody's a bit different I'm, I'm usually but put emotional, aren't you? Yes. But emotional. Yeah. And that's either elation or, or yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. And I was thinking we could have the emotion tunnel. Mm. <laughs> Let me explain. Yeah. <laughs> so you get across the finish line. Yeah. And you get your photo and stuff. And, and then what you do is you walk through this tunnel that goes yeah. dark. Yeah. And then music happens. And then lighting changes. And as you're going through, and it's all this different kind of music and emotion. And it just enhances that experience, John. I think we should have two tunnels, the John, the John Tunnel, which leads straight to the medical tent and uh, some race recovery. And Tell you, John, you it's, choose, a ne- it's a next generation. And that'll be a statistical exercise to see who chooses which tunnel. The emotional tunnel, I'm just saying, it's, it's the next big thing. Anyway, this week's discussion, what have we got happening? We've got, um, if we move away from doing mass starts, geez, we're talking about swimming a lot now, aren't we? Is this, I, oh, it's all topical. I thought you were going to do my one this week. Yeah, well, this one that seemed better. <laughs> it's still, it's, it just keeps getting eradicated. It's, it's still filed in there. People are still thinking. I'm giving them plenty of warning. <laughs> are you sure? Uh, I yeah. can't even remember what it was. <laughs> yeah. If we move away from mass starts, do you prefer wave starts of, say, 300, individual time trial starts, like they're doing some US races, or do you have a better suggestion? Mm. Just because we haven't talked about swimming enough lately. Well, it's just how, what, what people will want to see at the start, because this mass start's got to go. Got How long do you think it will be before it has gone? Do you think five years from now it, it sounds we'll like they're looking at it in the States pretty seriously. I mean, if... if uh, well, te- they have to if they're going to get more numbers, don't te- they? Texas, they're doing a time trial start. Louisville, they have a time trial start. Um, have they done a time trial start yet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've done it several times in Louisville. And do people like it? Um, I've had a couple of guys doing it. They didn't complain too vigorously about it. How do they, is it just based on name? No, you just rock up and jump in and go. Oh. Yeah. 
So first in, be stressed. You're away. Okay, there you go. So, okay, so there's this week's discussion. Next week we've got my one coming up. Yeah, if we're lucky. <laughs> if I'm lucky. Sponsor. SLS try. Um, we've talked the last couple of weeks. They now have the I Am Talk try suits and the two pieces. And uh, the, the guys at SLS are going to be, they're at, they're at a lot of races. They've got this um, uh, little... Camper van, not camper van type thing, and they oh, just they drive they, around. Do they? they rock around races? So they were at um, Oceanside seventy point three at the weekend. Next weekend they're going to Texas seventy point three. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and do, do, do do your Texas exit. Yeah. Hey y'all, hey y'all doing y'all? Y'all, we doing Texas. Hey y'all, hey y'all. Uh, and they're also going to be at the Hits races. Um, they're a sponsor of the Hits races, so they're at a lot of the North American events. Um, so if you want to go on and try some gear before you buy it, they'll have some I Am Talk um, gear there as well. So hook up the I Am Talk gear. Oh, we're going to have the gear there, are they? Oh yeah, yeah. They're going to, but they're, they're going to always carry a little bit of inventory there. So if you want to make sure you try on, get the right size, go see the guys from Hits. And even if you don't need a, need any, go along and just say, hey, thanks for supporting. I am Talk would be great. And um, if you guys that already do have some of the SLS Try gear, uh, do flick them a, a, some um, pictures so they can post it up on Facebook. Well, have you seen the one that's on there right now? Uh, what's that noise? No, good old Chuck Martinez. Yeah. I'm an adventure racer. Use SLS on a 30 day. Farmer Mountain, whatever, MVP Challenge. And look what he's doing here, John. He's, he's snowboarding down the sand in his SLS socks. Nice. It's looking pretty cool. Yeah. So get on there, send them a bit of love, and uh, and you might get yourself a little bit famous, especially if you're a aspiring elite or something like this, elite age grouper, and you do need a bit of promo or something like that, or if you've got some sponsors on, on your tops, send it through. Even if you're just wearing the SLS socks, send it through. They might put it up there. Get yourself a little bit of exposure. So check it out, slstry.com. Use the code IAMTALK if you're getting anything off there on there, except for the try suits. They're already discounted, the I Am Talk ones. And uh, get a bit of love to SLS. If you go on their Facebook page, they've got videos, John, and some girls talking about it. Nice. Just that. Just that. Just that. Um, okay, John, we're going to put an interview on. We've got um, the boys from Training Peaks. We've got Dirk um, and Dirk Farrell and Andrew Johnson, who yep. is now new in the role. Yes. And he's going to be basically... Helping coaches get better at using training picks. Exactly. Which is a pretty good thing, isn't it? It is because it is it's there's so much in there um I don't know about and I, I know just local coaches that I do, I say, Oh I'm, yeah, I'm doing this, it's really easy. They're like, What? Yeah. And then they say other things, Oh, they're doing that and I'm going, What? It's a bit of a learning curve, but what SLS I mean not what SLS, what um training picks are really good at is give it is helping you understand the tools because mm-hmm. it's one thing to have this tool set, but if you can't read it, what's the point in having it? But exactly. they've, they've they've got a really good job of just. It's going on with that me. sound. It's not me. It's not me. I'm not sure. I'm why, but um, they've got really good resources on there, and and also one thing they've got blogs of like you know some good thinkers in our sports, mm. you know sports, mm-hmm. um, actually you know giving some good information on there as well. So we're going to talk to Dirk and Andrew right now about a bit of Melbourne and a bit of other stuff as well. So uh, here we go. Okay, very happy to have the guys from Training Peaks back on the show, especially in light of uh, we mentioned briefly some of the analysis they were doing on Melbourne last year, and it's one area they're going to be looking at doing a lot more this year. So we've got Dirk Friel, who's been on the show a couple of times before, and uh, a new member of Training Peaks, Andrew Johnson on. So welcome back to the show, guys. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Hey, um, yeah, we looked at with a bit of interest last week at Melbourne. You guys did some some of the analysis for the for the pro athletes, and we saw this also in Kona last year. So, um, I, yeah, it, it's a really different dynamic for the for the pros racing in Kona, where there's 50 of them who are of 
fairly equal ability and you often see some fairly big packs whereas uh, in Melbourne still a really strong field but certainly not the same depth so I was just interested firstly in um, you know when you guys looked at the you know the files whether there was anything very different to what you'd normally see in Kona. Well I mean I think the first thing you got to look at is how much the short and swim affected the racing uh, you know before he even started you know I think some of the athletes had to uh, change their strategies um, obviously mostly you're looking at someone like Clayton Fettel who um, you know was going to try and use that swim advantage as much as he can so obviously like you're alluding to in Kona you're going to have a lot of guys coming out together out of the water and they're going to be able to work together especially in those first 10 miles which are always hectic uh, going through town Mm. Um, I think you saw in Melbourne a little bit more scattered, and uh, I think that that kind of led to some different different strategies having to be deployed. I guess um, when I looked at the the files, and I didn't go to the nth degree, I just sort of scanned the files. But two things that really surprised me was um, was Jordan Rapp and um, Meredith Kessler how low their cadence was, especially Jordan, who's um, you know, he's very much a, seems to be a race by numbers guy. And um, was that a surprise to you guys? And, or is that something you see as a bit of a trend in pro athletes at a lower cadence than what we might normally expect? Well, I think to me personally, it was a bit of a surprise um, seeing his cadence that low. However, looking back at his Kona data, he's basically right at that same, um, same cadence. So looking at, at Kona, his cadence is average. Average cadence uh, was 76 uh, RPMs, and in Melbourne he's 77. Um, obviously, I think you know a lot of athletes are shooting for that high 80, low 90. That's kind of what has been put out there. Um, but Jordan has experimented with that, and he's found that that is what works for him. So, you know, I think that's a great example of taking something that is maybe within the norm but then saying maybe this works differently for me um, and finding what works for you rather than just sticking with um, you know what's been put out there as the optimum so it was a surprise but it is it was definitely not by a chance you, know, you got to remember that nothing nothing with Jordan on the bike <coughs> chance yeah. when you traditionally look at files you know what what is it normally that kind of highest speed that you see or, or is it a pretty big variance with the pros on RPM yep. for cadence, cadence, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I see. You know, Pete Jacobs in Kona, we posted his file, and he averaged ninety-one RPM for the entire race. Yeah, uh, certainly, I'd expect that to be definitely on the high side. Um, there's no magic, you know, one number, right, that everybody should be shooting for, and everybody has their strengths and weaknesses, and you might be more efficient quote mashing a bigger gear some others are you know better at spinning and have really good spin um so there's certainly no one magic number to target but that's certainly the range i mean we see kessler um she averaged 74 rpm in melbourne um you know it's in whereas jordan did 77 um so that's probably the lowest i've ever seen is 74 um and then the highest i've seen yes yeah, Pete jacobs at 91 so there's a pretty good range yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and also looking at Clayton, you know, he had a, an average cadence of 90. So mm. I would I would say that the the pro athletes tend to be more in that that mid 80 to 90. But you know, again, you've got to experiment. Every athlete has to at least experiment and see if something like that could work for them. And there's only one way to find out. 
Exactly. Um, one area that, um, that you know, people always look at numbers and they go, oh, that guy's riding 250 watts and I'm only riding 200 watts yeah. and that guy's riding 190. Can you guys maybe explain a bit the, um, the watts per kilogram um, number and, and how that sort of relates to both pro and age group athletes? You know, we've got Meredith Kessler there at 3.5 watts per kg um, and we look at someone like Clayton Fattel who's uh, 3.6 and can you just sort of explain the variances and, and numbers people can sort of look at um, for, for age groupers and, and pros? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll take that on. Um... You know, everybody has what we term to, to be a, a functional threshold power. So, you know, you have a threshold power that you can maintain. And really, we try and define this as what can you maintain if you were to do a one-hour full-on time trial? What would that average be? And, you know, for a lot of these guys, I don't know, Jordan Rapp, I'm not sure exactly what we put in there, but it might be like 350 or Jordan, so. Jordan was right at, you know, from what he reported to us before Melbourne was 366. Right. So Clayton was 380. Right. That's so, yeah. Right. So that's what they can, can maintain for one hour. Now for the Ironman, obviously these guys are doing four and a half hours. They can do a, a certain percentage of their functional threshold power. You certainly can't maintain threshold for the entire four and a half hours, right? Mm -hmm. So these the pros at the upper level, they're hitting around 0 0.8, 0 0.89, you know, 89% of threshold for that four and a half hours. Um, age groupers are going to be out there longer, however, so there's no way they're going to be, be able to maintain, you know, nearly 90% of the one hour time trial pace for you know, a six hour bike, for example. Um, so they're gonna be, you know, much lower percentage, maybe, you know, 70%, 65%, even lower. Um, so anyways, um, that's a percentage of their all out effort, but then we can relate that to their, their weight, their, their watts per kilogram. So, you know, if I weigh, you know, 77 kilo and I'm riding straight up with somebody that weighs, you know, 65 kilo, our absolute power values will be dramatically different, but we'll be going the very same speed. But mm -hmm. our, and the, what's similarity between us will be that watts per kilogram. Um, so, you know, these guys are roughly racing around 3.6 to 4.0 watts per kilo. When they attack, they're going above four watts per kilo. And so to think about that, you know, to your own personal numbers, you know, multiply that out by, you know, how much you weigh in kilograms. Um, but that's at the pro level, of course. Um, and they can't go above, you know, what we're seeing is they can't go above four watts per kilo for, for very long. They're really going to, they're not going to go above four watts per kilo probably for more than like 20 minutes would be a really long, you know, time above 4.0 watts per kilo before they have to come back down and recover um, and at the end of the day average 3.8 or something like that mm. um, again you know age groupers really won't be able to do that they're out there longer right um, they just don't have the same physical capabilities so they're gonna be lower than that but it's really nice once you race with power you kind of see the world in three-dimensionally whereas previously you're seeing the world two-dimensionally and now you get this third dimension and you really see exactly what it takes to come off the bike and, and be able to run well. Um, it, you know, it, it's funny because if you hit a, a headwind, you know, you might only end up doing, 
maybe 12 miles per hour, but your watts might shoot up dramatically. So you feel like you're going really slow, but all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're doing well above your threshold pace, your FTP. It's like, wow, that's a good sign. I need to, you know, hold back because I can now see through, you know, the wind, you know, in this example, and I know exactly what my work um, output is. So you can have a target for the race, which hopefully leads to, uh, you know, a solid run. Uh, this next question is kind of a very broad question, and maybe you'll be able to answer it, maybe you won't. But if you look at the top pros, just saying they can sit in that high 80s to 90%, you know, for a four and a half hour bike ride. Have you done analysis on your average age grouper who then go on to do a good run? What kind of percentage do they typically kind of sit in through through their ride? I mean, I, like as Dirk um, mentioned earlier, you know, because they're going a little bit longer, you're going to see a lower percentage of that effort. Mm. Um, but, you know, you would expect a, a top age grouper uh, athlete who, who wants to run well. I mean, you're looking, I would still say 70, maybe 75% okay. um, um, of that functional threshold power. Um, that's, again, you know, kind of a generalization. But if you want to be a top age grouper, that's kind of what it takes. Looking at, yeah. And, yeah. What we I think we can do in, a, in another date is is look at some of the um, the tools within Training Peaks um, for helping setting zones based off your FTP because I do find that very accurate and for me personally as a, as a slightly higher end age group you know I'd probably look at around about. 3.1 is uh, watts per kg is what I'm able to sustain versus these guys that are you know in the high threes. Um, so talking talking through it, was there, was there anything else that sort of um, came out of the analysis from from Melbourne? You know, you had uh, four or five athletes up there. Was there any sort of surprises or things that you went, oh, that was uh, that was interesting, or I was wasn't expecting that? I think I think one thing you can look at um, is you know Jordan put in a hard effort in that first lap to try and bring gap, to get up to Marino and, and Crowey and Clayton. Um, and he, you know, I, I have not spoken with him, um, but just reading his recap, he made a concerted effort to race a little bit differently than he normally does. Um, he said it was his most erratic Ironman uh, race to date. I mean, that being said, it, it still, you know, was well within the range of being nice and smooth. Um, but for him, you know, he took a little bit different tact, tried to bridge up to that front group. I think it goes to show how, how fast that front group was going that Jordan wasn't able to do it. Um, but he, he paid for it a little bit on that, on that second loop. And, I, you know, if you watch it, you saw that Jordan was actually losing time to, uh, to that front group. That was a bit of a surprise to me, but I think it was a smart decision on Jordan's case because he knows he can, he can ride, you know, a steady Ironman, um, trying a slightly different tactic. That being said, even though he, he raced a little bit differently, some of his values from, from Melbourne to Kona are unbelievably uh, similar. Um, for instance, his average wattage in Kona, you're looking average watts 286. And in Melbourne, um, let's see, he was looking, I believe, two, 283. So a, a three difference. Um, overall, it, that's I mean, that's incredibly steady, and I think it goes to show that even someone like like Jordan, who um, you know has a very good plan going in, is able to make changes on the fly mm-hmm. uh, and do something. You know, he was hoping, obviously, to I think his big goal was he wanted to try and run head to head with 
Nico and, and Crowe, and you know that didn't that didn't come to fruition. But um, you know, to seeing him charge a little bit more like that and, and pay for it's a little bit different. Well, it's, it's interesting looking at the stats for that first hour, and, and he's got a you know a four point six you know watts per kg in for a whole hour. So he's obviously pushing the tempo pretty hard. Yeah, I mean it's huge. I mean he obviously was not expecting to lose that much time in such a in you know from the swim, but um, you know he made that decision, and I think he he, he thinks that uh, had he paced normally like he usually does, he could have gone a little bit faster, but it wouldn't have made the difference between you know catching the front group or not. Right. So, one of the things, guys, for listeners, that um, I absolutely love with um, the files you can get off Training Peaks, and if you've got the premium version of Training Peaks, you can do this really well, is you can actually go through and select different segments of the, 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 the bike ride or, or whatever discipline it is. Um, and so when, the, when these guys are talking about looking at Jordan's um, file here, they've actually already broken it down into individual laps. But this is where I find it really, really powerful from a coaching and a training perspective is you can actually go into, say, Jordan's file and you can select, say, the first um, 45 minutes of the ride and you can highlight that and it'll actually give you all the numbers for that for that segment. And if, if guys can do that when they're looking at my training files on my website. You can do it with your own personal one. And so if you're going through a race and you're not hitting your lap button or anything like that, you can still go back and you can break down individual segments of the race to decide, you know, did I ride too hard there? Did I ride too easy? And I really find that one of the um, the most awesome well, features. Also, training, have. like if you've got some intervals you need mm. to put on or some Ironman efforts or half Ironman efforts, you know, it's all that kind of information that helps you learn about yourself, doesn't it? Absolutely, yeah. And you can take that, uh, that knowledge that you learn from racing and apply it to your next training block, you know, depending on what your next race is. And you can dial in your training to a point where it's it's 100 percent efficient. There's no waste of time. Yeah. If, if people want to find these files, by the way, they're at trainingpeaks.com/slash/melbourne. And for Kona, what did we do for that URL? I think it's just yeah, it's just slash Kona. Yeah. Trainingpeaks.com/slash. Yeah. Um, I happen to pull up on our Kona page. We actually profiled Frederick Scott, who was third in the 60 to 64 male uh, oh, no, division. So I, I just looked in, and he did uh, 0.74. So basically, 74 percent of oh, his uh, threshold hour for five hours and 32 minutes, yeah. and um, his watts per kilo was 2.5. So he was at a very high percentage of threshold um, at 2.5 watts per kilo. That, and for him, that was 172 um, watts. Yeah. But he finished third got on the podium and had a great Kona um, and that's a pretty high percentage you know 75% of, of threshold exactly. um, so you guys obviously you did, you did Kona last year and we talked to you over there about you know you were looking at really upping the ante um, on doing WTC races and Ironman races this year so so what is your, your plan for, for training peaks and, and doing um, race analysis work at, at Ironman and, and 70.3 races this year yeah, we're trying to pull it off as much as we can. You know, um, it takes man hours and people on the ground. Um, you know, we have people on the ground in Kona. Um, luckily, we we had um, some ambassadors of ours over in Australia that we got on the ground in in Melbourne to help us out. We did analysis back here in Colorado. You know, as it happened, so that was approaching midnight our time here on a Saturday night, and um, so we had a team you know, working all hours of the night here, 
um, live. Um, we're going to be um, in St. George, Utah for 70.3. Cool. Um, plan to do a lot of PR around that race. Um, and just kind of take it as it comes, just lining up resources to figure out how to get the data off of the bikes mm-hmm. as quick. So I think we posted Fettles within five minutes of getting off the bike, I yeah. believe. Yeah. Uh, nice. So are the pros fairly um, open to have, have to, I mean, are, are these guys sponsored by um, either you guys or, or the particular um, power meters to, to get this information out there? Are they pretty open about it? Well, yeah. I mean, we work with all devices. So basically 90 plus different devices we work with. And so, you know, we really want to support, you know, those device manufacturers. So we reach out to them, try and see if they'll help us um, engage with their athletes. Um, Many of the athletes are are already on training peaks, so we have those relationships. But if not, we certainly are here to help support any and all athletes, you know, with with accounts. and then from there, a lot of times sponsors will will ask them um, to share their data, you know, through us. Um, it just shows the value of, of that training device, and we really want to educate the the viewer. Um, we want them to walk away with something that they can apply to their own training. Like someone may have just learned about functional threshold power right now from this conversation, for example. Um, so it really depends on the person, you know. Um, you know, it, it, and I don't fault. The athlete, if they don't want to share, it, you know, it's it's such a mental game. Ironman is, you know, it's a mental race, right? So if it's going to play with your head, you know, we don't need your data. There's not that kind of pressure out there, right? Mm-hmm. But a lot of us do see it as you know, transparency. You know, this is what it takes to race at the pro level. You know, and and you know, here it is, uh, black and white. You can see exactly what it takes. And then it certainly helps their sponsors. They get more eyeballs, not, not only from the device manufacturers, but their bike sponsor likes it, etc. So um, it's great that we can all learn from each other too, you know. And you know, and racing is only going to get faster. <laughs> exactly. So, so for the listeners um, that want to sort of follow this, obviously for for Melbourne, it's trainingpeaks.com/slash/melbourne, and for Kona, it was trainingpeaks.com/slash/kona. Uh, um, what's the best way for people to stay connected with what what you're doing with your um, with with race files via Facebook, Twitter? What's what's generally going to be the best way so they know what's coming up and, and how to follow things? Yeah, definitely the social media channels of, of Facebook and uh, and Twitter. Um, you know, sometimes we do. We're, we're sometimes looking for age group files. So you know, some 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 age grouper is looking to uh, have their stuff analyzed. Sometimes for some races, we'll put stuff out there uh, via our social media. Um, that's probably the best way. And obviously, during the I am live uh, broadcasts, um, you know, we they we're, we're putting our stuff up there. As, as Dirk mentioned, you know, within five minutes off the bike. So uh, they can view um, all that information there. So you know, we try not to keep it. Uh, try to keep it simple for people to follow us and stay involved with with Training Peaks and everything that we have going on. So yeah, and we have a blog as well. Um, so yeah, just follow us on the blog, and there'll be a lot of good stuff, a lot of great content coming coming from there. Sweet. Any other news from you guys you want to share with the, the community? Yeah, I mean, if people are, are familiar with our desktop product, the WKO Plus, yep. uh, we announced that we're coming out with a new version um, this fall, hopefully end of October. 
Um, that'll be Mac and PC equal. Oh, the great. There you go. That's what I've been waiting for. I'm, I'm, I'm a Mac man now. Been waiting for it. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and WKO really is like the spearhead of a lot of innovation. Um, that's where we debuted TSS. We debuted our performance management chart. Um, in WKO Plus, so you might see some cool new charts, reports, metrics, etc. in the next version of WKO, um, and then that could eventually migrate to the web. Um, but it's really like our test, our test environment, if you will, for the hardcore, you know, data geeks, if you will. Yeah. And we take what works there, and you know, bring it up to the web and more to the masses. Uh, but yeah, that'll be Mac and PC compatible. Um, we we launched a training Peaks University, which was just an amazing event here in Boulder. Um, we, we had that beginning of March and we had, it, it was primarily for coaches. We'll probably open it up to athletes as well, but we had 25 coaches come and we sold it out. Um, and we have another one coming up in August, it's the week of the Boulder 70.3. So people, you know, if, if they're, if they're, you know, coaches and they want to keep see their athletes race or they're racing themselves, it's really nice because it's a. Uh, it starts Wednesday night through Friday at noon, and then the race here is on Sunday. Okay. So it gives them time to just chill out, do some classroom classroom work, learn the ins and outs of Training Peaks, how to grow their business, etc. Um, so yeah, look for more to come around Training Peaks University concept. And we recently launched a threshold notification uh, uh, functionality. So. Imagine if you go out today and you set a new threshold power value, well, pace as well, pace heart and heart rate. Um, it'll automatically email you with a, a notification that you should consider changing your, your zones or your threshold values, or you can actually have it auto um, change for you. Um, so yeah, we want to come out with better um, immediate feedback type reports that kind of you know, or do all the smart stuff for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and it's awesome, guys. Um, if any listeners want to get involved, go go to imtalk.me. We've got a Training Peaks logo up there. If you're going to sign up for the premium account, we could, we've, we've gone into that before, and um, we will go into it again in the future, the difference between the basic and the premium. Make sure you use the code imtalk, and um, we'll be catching up with you guys uh, when the next race rolls around. Um, Nick 70.3 so thanks for coming on guys and uh, go eat some more easter eggs yeah rock and roll <laughs> thank you appreciate it thanks a lot guys there you go there's training people boys know their stuff I do love that lap function I, I go on and on about you it you really do don't you I'm a bit oh, sick yeah. of it <laughs> it's great because you know, you can just go through and analyse a bike ride if you haven't hit your lap button so I really fell well, apart do you need to hit your lap button not, not really no no um so you know, if you go and do, say you do, a, say I go and do a three-hour ride, flat ride, and and my powers, and I get back from it, and you look at your average number, and you go, well, that wasn't quite what I wanted. You can go back and say, well, I held it. And you can select different areas. First hour is sweet. Second hour is sweet. Third hour, geez, my cadence dropped off by seven RPMs or whatever. I love that stuff. Well, it's just interesting talking to those guys because once you start to understand those things, you know, you can. It's, it's a good tool, especially for the beginner athlete, isn't it? Mm. You know? So if you've got any questions on Training Peaks, flick them through to us um, because we're going to have the guys on roughly every month or so for a little bit of an interview and uh, we're going to really focus on keeping it knowledge-based so um, you guys are learning and it's not just a, you know, just, not just a sales pitch and I've got, I've got lots of things that I want to share on there. But if you guys have got questions around Training Peaks, um, fire them through to us and, uh, and we'll cover them as we work our way through the year. 
Okay, Russell Cox. So Russell Cox, uh, you guys know him. He's been on the show quite a few times over the years, and uh, he just did a good analysis of why there was such a congestion, basically, at the beginning of the bike in Melbourne, and uh, we're going to get him on. He'll talk about it right now. Righty-ho. We're very happy to have – well, no, this is this isn't a, a continuation of the discussion we've just had. We're actually, we haven't actually had it yet. We're, we're, well, where are you going with this? Well, it's a bit of a discussion around Ironman Melbourne because uh, – there was there was some photos going around the internet that had some uh, some big packs, horrific drafting, and, horrific. Wasn't it? and um and you can't just point the finger at the athletes and say oh you're a bunch of cheating Aussies which which you are but at the same time um, circumstances conspired to making it extremely difficult not to draft and a man I thought we'd have a look at it by the numbers by stats and so I instilled the uh, the help of. Russell Cox from trainstravels.co.uk who loves crunching the numbers. And, right, um, you should be on Wall Street. Yeah, and, and having a look at, at what went on in Melbourne. So um, welcome back to the show, Russ. Hi, guys. Hey, um, so you, 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 I sent you an email and, and said, um, you know, what, what that, you, you actually posted um, some, some information initially on um, sort of some of the results from Melbourne and then you, then you looked at it a bit, a bit deeper. So... Can you maybe just talk us through your, your, the initial post you found um, that you did on, on Melbourne and, and, um, and maybe just talk through the, the numbers that were of people that were coming out, coming out of the swim and how close it really was in, in T1? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, the, the initial post was, was basically after I saw probably the same photo you guys saw where, where you know, there's just a huge <coughs> pack of athletes. Um, and... You know, it was obvious that you don't get a pack like that forming normally, and there'd been the shortened swim. So I was thinking about it and thinking, well, it probably meant that a lot of people were coming out at the same time who wouldn't normally come out together. So the thing I did was I, I basically looked at race time at the T exit of, of transition one um, and did a count in the results of how many athletes would be leaving. Uh, T1 in any given minute uh, during the race uh, and what it kind of showed was uh, for, for Melbourne this year at, at one point, I think it's about uh, about 34 minutes in there's 100 athletes leaving in the same minute window mm. um, and you know that's the peak but then either side of that there's over 90 <coughs> athletes leaving per minute um, and if you look back at Melbourne the previous year the kind of peak figure was under 50 athletes mm. in a given... So it's kind of double the rate of athletes um, you'd normally see leaving a transition, which, you know, if you think about it in terms of, um, you know, the time it takes to cover a draft distance, like 12 metres, you know, if you've got 100 athletes leaving in a single given minute, they're not going to automatically space out to, to be 12 metres apart. Um, there's just too many leaving at the same time to kind of just sort neatly out like that. Um, so yeah, I had a look at that and then I also kind of looked at what happened during the race. So by doing the same kind of approach, looking at different bike split points, you could kind of see how the bunches did break up over time over the, over the race. Um, and by the time you get back to transition at the end of the bike, it's actually spread out fairly well. It's just kind of at that initial exit and first 45k to one lap where you really see quite dense packs. Mm. Um, And yeah, then kind of just did a quick look at what happened across every other race that uh, last year. 
to see you know what was typical and and again uh, i think <clears throat> don't see the level of crowding you saw in melbourne there's a few few exceptions um things like new york with its uh, current aided swim brought everyone in together but uh, most races it's a lot calmer than that and a lot should be a lot less crowded at the uh, transition exit so so t- talking about you know your your average race um so, so how many people are you typically seeing yeah, in the, those popular times um, or, the, or the most densely populated times coming out and coming out of T1 and heading onto the bike per minute? What roughly, um, have you got any sort of numbers there for, for you know, the, the, the really densely populated times? The density, yeah, I mean, the densely populated times are going to be probably, it, it kind of varies by race, but it, it, it kicks off around an hour five to an hour 10. And then again, depending on the race, it might stretch out to maybe an hour 20, even an hour 30 in some of the races. Um, and, but for most races, that's going to peak around 60 athletes in a minute. So still one a second. Yeah. But, but, you know, um, again, it kind of varies by race. So, you know, if I look at last year, somewhere like, Cairns, which was new, had a very small field, rarely got over 20 athletes in a given minute. Yeah. Uh, whereas you kind of pick uh, an American race like Lake Placid, and you do have that kind of ri- window where there's a lot in that kind of 60 plus per minute. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the thing is, I think I, I, I didn't check the number precisely, but it generally looks like the, the difference is, is race size. If, if you pick a small race, um, you don't get that level of those kind of numbers coming out. So, you know, UK and Wales are all peaking around that 40 level, whereas um, the likes of, you know, France in Europe is a big race. They kind of promote how they've had, you know, 2,500 plus athletes racing, and you do see some high peaks mm. kind of coming out around the hour 15 there. So, so. Um, how long does do you find you know you, you in your article you got how you you know you look at the timing mess to see how long <clears throat> excuse me um, how long it took for the the groups to kind of spread out a little bit more what kind of time frame does it tend to turn kind of break up? Well, I mean the, the difficulty there is each race has its own timing setup, and obviously mm. it's so in Melbourne we have we have effectively uh, the T one time three mats on the bike course and the T two time. Um, so you only get those kind of three snapshots and kind of actually, you know, if you look, if you're just counting people over the mat in a given time frame, it actually splits up fairly quickly. Um, by the 45 K, the densities drop massively compared with T1. And then by 90, it's dropped a little bit more, 135, a bit more. And by 180 K, they're kind of spread out. So you're kind of talking about something where it averages uh, sort of 10 to 15 athletes per minute mm. uh, coming into transition, which, you know, is a lot lot fewer than uh, in, in, the first, uh, in the first instance. I mean, you could still potentially have tight groups in there. You can't really pick out when there's a really tight bunch, it, it, not properly anyway. Um, but what you're kind of seeing is that overall the field must be spreading out to get that reju- reduction in numbers, but it, it does kind of almost take the whole bike course. Um, and I think, you know, I've only really looked at Melbourne properly with this. And if I was to do the same on other races, my, my kind of expectation would be that 
the rate with which the bike course spread would probably be a reflection on the course. You know, a tougher course is going to split athletes much more quickly and efficiently. Mm. Um, whereas, you know, I guess, you know, somewhere like Melbourne's a relatively straightforward course. So, you know, like Florida's another case where you hear a lot of stories about large groups. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's a flat course. Um, it just doesn't have the ability to break people up in the same way. So, so you, you um, one thing you've done here is you've you've gone on and you've um, you you've raced like wrote and stuff with with where they have wave starts. Yeah. And so what you did with um, some Melbourne data, and I don't know if you've done this with with other races as well, is you've um, put some hypothetical you know situations out there if they broke it into men and women and or if they broke it into multiple wave starts. So can you talk us through what, what you see happening with the, the numbers of people coming through T1 um, when you change the, uh, the start format of the race? Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, so the idea was um, kind of using the race results, I could manipulate the timing map times to kind of simulate different wave starts. Um, you know, you have to make the assumption that even though people would start slightly differently, they'd still swim at the same speed. So, so there is that kind of assumption there. But it gives some kind of idea of how breaking things up might change things. So, you know, I just basically took the existing results and applied all sorts of different adjustments to different age groups, effectively. Uh, and I started by trying splitting men and women. But the problem with that is basically there's there's you know less than a quarter of the field uh are women um so even if you you put men 10 minutes ahead you're not really clearing you're not really breaking up the large groups because it's mostly men in there anyway uh i think it was the male 40 to 44 year olds there's something like 450 of them on the uh in melbourne <laughs> yeah. so almost a quarter of the race is in that one age group yeah. so i started splitting out into more waves by age group i went I tried, you know, two, three, four, five. And basically, as you add the breakup into more waves, obviously, you start to see a bigger spread. Mm. Kind of one issue you do have there is because I was trying to keep uh, age groups together, because I know one of the, the things that people do say about wave starts is you're not really racing head-to-head anymore. Um, and you've got that factor then. If you break an age group up and people are racing for a Kona slot, there's no sense when you cross the line of, of certainty whether you've got it or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, so I had to keep the, the, the 40 to 44 year old men together in order to, to keep that, that aspect in place. So you don't, so in five ways where you keep that one big group together, you start to drop it down to the point where you're probably talking around that 60 per minute level that, yeah. that, that happens at other races. Um, if you are willing to split it further, then you could spread that out again. Um, and I think I was kind of looking at a few other races because, um, they say, Rote is one example where they use a lot of wave starts and you have wave starts based on finish time and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think Germany has a wave ahead of the, the bulk of the athletes. They do a faster wave, which I think, again, you have to apply for, but I'm not sure if it's strictly a, a speed criteria or not. So it's not actually unknown for a wave start to happen in Ironman. Um, and then I know Texas apparently is having a time trial start, uh, like Louisville does, I believe. Mm. Mm. Um, a whole different thing again. I did actually try and look at that, but 
the way the Louis Hill results are recorded, I can't actually kind of take a look at that, unfortunately, and try and work out what the difference it makes over a what, what difference it makes over a, a mass start. Mm. Um, I mean, the other the other aspect I found was. Another way I looked at it was if you assume everyone would maintain the same pace for the full swim distance, um, what would that do? So you just kind of adjust everyone's swim so you, you kind of assume that they keep the same speed and it was just a bit longer. Yeah. Um, again, once you, once you make that adjustment and if everyone had to swim 3.8K and they swam the same speed, then you would not have seen anywhere near that level of grouping again, you know, a full distance swim would have spread everyone out enough that it would have been comparable probably with Melbourne last year. Yeah. Mm. So, I mean, now you've looked at the numbers um, in a bit more detail and you've got a lot of race experiences at big races around the world. What's your sort of just your personal opinion on... um, Swim stats. Swim stats. I mean, I, I always... I've always personally preferred the wave start at, at say, like at Rope. It just... Mm. I, I think it also happens for me... Coming from that strong a swim background and and not being the strongest swimmer, a wave start takes some of that pressure off. So there is a kind of personal preference there, a little bit of personal bias. Um, but also, again, in, in rope, the experience I've had is that the crowding, the bunching, didn't seem as bad. Mm. And I think one of the things is it's interesting that uh, some of the comments I've had have been about the fact that you know that effectively that basically drafters are still cheats and. You know, there was still a lot of cheating going on, whether you say the numbers are thinned out or not. Mm. And I think the fact is, though, if if you thin if you thin the numbers out on the course at any given time, it's much easier to capture those who are, are drafting. Because if you look at that picture in Melbourne, if you're the you know the uh, the technical official, how do you decide to deal with that? Because you can't get everyone's numbers and treat them equally. Do you just you know pick a few or or, or what? And, you know, if you're in that bunch, I can quite see that there's going to be people thinking, I'm not going to slow down and drop back unless all these other guys do. Yeah. Uh, uh, and so I think there's, there's, there's an element where whilst you lose the head-to-head aspect with wave starts um, and it's not first across the line is, is the winner, or at least not in the age group ranks, it's, um, you, do prob- you, you seem to make drafting slightly easier to manage or potentially easier to manage um and and you know if you are a if you aren't the strongest at swimmers you're probably going to prefer it as well because you're going to be under a lot less pressure at the start mm-hmm. i think it's one of the problems of the popularity of the sport but i think you know as you said wave starts is the future we'll see what happens i think you're going to have those sort of numbers on a given course you know if you're going to have 2000 2500 or you know some of the US races, you're talking about 3,000 athletes, potentially. Yeah. If you're going to have those numbers on a course you, you, and you have a mass start, you're going to have a lot of people coming out in those common swim times. You know, it, yeah. it, It's not going to be the sub-hour swimmers who are going to experience this. Yeah. Um, they're going to basically go out, bike, and then potentially get caught by some of the hour 5, hour 10 who are kind of mixed up in a bunch if they've all come out, you know, a hundred in a given minute, and uh, and naturally kind of just stay together. 
Yeah, quite. Mm. So, I'll talk about hurt your swimmer advantage, doesn't it? If you can swim a little bit faster and someone in the pack behind you. That's what I find. I'm swimming along, then Bevan pulls a bloody. Oh, yeah. He's got 10, 20 of us. Pulls a pack up to me. That's how we roll. Anything happening with you, Russell, in terms of things you're looking to promote? You got any camps or anything or coaching or anything that's coming up? Um, at the moment, well, no camps now till next year. I'm, I'm, I, I don't think so. Anyway, I'm, I'm going to kind of will be doing a couple next year. But um, and coaching wise, well, my books are still full at the moment, which is good. Um, nice. But you know, I always always welcome inquiries just in case. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's not anything major on, on that side of things at the moment. It's kind of ticking along nicely. Um, if guys yeah. want to follow what any of, any of the posts we've been talking about and, and go into a bit more detail, go to um, trainstravels.co.uk and Russell's got all his um, all the posts and he's done you know three or four on Melbourne alone up there, so it's all good stuff. Now, did, did I read right? Are you getting married? Uh, I am late this year. <coughs> oh, hey, have you still got the long hair? Uh, yeah, I'm loving it, mate. I'm loving it. <laughs> it. It's slightly unintentional. It was uh, I've been meaning to have a haircut for. Two or three months. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, to be fair, it is longer than it was when I was last in New Zealand. Um, the question is, do you keep the hair for the wedding or not, or do you get told to get it rid of it? Oh, no, no, she likes it. Oh, I see. You, you seem a bit more bohemic. Yeah, very nice. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, Russell. appreciate you um, coming on the show and actually uh, delving a bit deeper into those Melbourne results. And, um, yeah, hopefully somebody at, at uh, the powers that be is listening and, um, and we start to see some more wave start races. I don't like this individual time trial start. I want to see wave starts. So, yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting time, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So, Russell, thanks again for your time and um, look forward to catching up with you soon. Rock and roll, mate. Bye. John, your thoughts? Well, it, he certainly um, came to the conclusion that things do actually spread out fairly well as the ride mm. progresses. Now, we, we're still going to see big packs forming, but it sounds like it does spread out a little bit. And obviously the, the situation in Melbourne was there was too many people over a half-distance swim. Had it been a full distance, still would have had issues, but there would have been a lot less. But I, I really just think it highlights a problem that... Um, it's not going to be a problem that goes away unless there's some changes made and, and wave starts, in my opinion, is uh, is the way where you can still... And it's got to be done by age group. I agree with Russell there. You don't really want to be splitting age groups. And in Rote, I don't know how many people they start at a time, but it's several hundred. And but, so, but in Rote, they do it by a time, don't they? Yeah, which would have which would have made me think that you're, still, you're going to have more people coming out at the same time. If, you, if you're, if you're a, say you're a... A nine and a half hour Ironman, um, or no, let's say you're a ten and a half, ten hour Ironman. If you if you're that speed, I would have thought most of those people are going to be within a narrower range yep. for their swim time. It's still going to be a bit of range, but if you just if you change that to being the forty to forty four men, then I think you're going to have a broader range of swim things. So it should probably spread it out a bit better. So um, it, it needs to be looked at, and you need to run the stats in terms of. I think you just you need to look. And how much bloody space you've got on the road, do it what Russell's got here, how many people are you coming out of the swim at one time and figure out whatever bloody formula is going to work right. I would have thought that, you know, you break a race into, I don't know, waves to sort of about 300 or so and um, try to do it by age group and I would have thought you're still going to have drafting out there and it's a personal responsibility thing. If people are going to draft, they're going to yeah, draft. They're going to they're 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 yeah. figure out a way. But if you can make it less, uh, far less attractive to your average punter um, to to not to, to avoid that situation. I mean, if I'm in a race and someone passes me, I'm generally going to try to stick with them. Mm. And and then 
we catch up with somebody else, they're generally going to stick, and that's how how bunches form. Um, but I think you just got to try to give people the, the opportunity to spread things out a bit. And, and if you do that, maybe they can get more people on the course. I don't know. John, but imagine if you had a course where one direction or, or a big loop that you don't kind of back on mm. and you hit the whole road in one direction. Mm. That'd, That'd be kind of cool, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. then you could probably have almost like three lanes, yeah. you know, within that road. But you do see, I mean, in, in, in Melbourne, uh, well, no, I don't know, I haven't raced in Melbourne. In some races, you do have dual carriageway where you've got both sides, you know. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, it'd be great if they did that. It's just, you know, we're at that point now where they are trying to get to that kind of closer to 3,000 people in a race. Mm. And, uh, yeah. I cannot comprehend coming out of the swim, as Russell said, 100, 100 people, people in that minute. minute. Yeah. It's just blows my mind. There's no way. It'd be chaos, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah it's, drafting is unavoidable. It's unavoidable, team. Mm. Okay, so we're going to go on and we're going to talk a little bit about questions, are we? We're going to talk about coffee. Oh, coffees of Hawaii sponsor. Hawaii. If you go onto imtalk.me, click on the Coffees of Hawaii logo, it takes you off to coffeesofhawaii.com slash promo slash imtalk. Yes, and, and if you get the special month, special of the month, Overseas customers spend more than $75 and the shipping is free. Enter the code IAMTALKFREE at checkout and it's sweet as, bro. Exactly. Or you use the code IAMTALK and you get 25% off. So if you're in the States, that's probably a better one to use. If you're outside the States, use one IAMTALKFREE and you're away laughing. And if you're there, guys, go and get some coffee blends. Yes. Get some island-style blends. You can go for the Molokai. You can go for the Maui. You can go for vanilla. And if you guys ever want to meet the Albinator, Albert Boyce. Well, if you're racing, you're going to be looking at his butt because he canes everybody. He does. We probably have a couple of, well, no, we do have a couple of spaces left on Epic Camp Canada in 2014. I might make my comeback. You might make my comeback. You know what? I actually thought about that. We've got a really long list, but basically, I think we're, we're having space for 25. Athletes. athletes and we've got 20 I think we've got about 22 or 23 that are paid up deposit and this is like a year and a half in advance so I'm yep. now opening it up to fill those last couple of spaces everyone else put their name down and said I'll do it but they're not showing yeah. the money are they so John there's still people on the list saying I'm really keen but I just can't commit right now so if you if you A either want to come or if you want to just be put on the list um, pop pop me an email I love how uh, you made the coffees of Hawaii ad a nippet cap ad yeah, well, <laughs> well that's the thing you come along you have some we'll have coffee as a while we'll be a sponsor you have your coffee every and day you Albert. and you get to meet Albert the Albert so you're the marketing you're Albert you're marketing you meet the curly freight train he's coming along as well is Gordo doing it big Ed Gordo's he's He's, he's not, got kids now. He's got yeah, soft. He's 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 on, on the possibles possibles list. Um, Big E. Uh, I, don't I, met, Big I think e. I've met him once. Some of the go. classics are coming back. Jeff Schilt, who's a. Is uh, everyone a bit, Is everyone still sharp, or is, is it kind of like me? If I were to go, I'd have to really. Oh, I think people will be in pretty good shape. Uh, yeah, I'd yeah. need to train for six months to do it, wouldn't I? Mm. Yeah, no, it's going to be awesome. It's going to, so it's in uh, August 2014, and you'll be able to get all your dosage of coffees of Hawaii over there, and you get to meet the Albinator, lock horns with him, and uh, he. What you is can he, talk is about his coffees of Hawaii story, John. What's his coffees of Hawaii story? Independence, originality, spiritual power. That's what it's about, John. That's right. So you, you use those promo codes, and you get yourself a nice deal if you're overseas. Shipping's taken out of the equation if you do yourself a nice, decent-sized order. John, I've got, I've got something I want to say. Yes. If you're an Iron Talk listener, and you haven't had coffees of Hawaii, get on sharpen it. up. Yeah. You know, how, how many years have they sponsored us? Yes. We've been going for how many years now? It's well, almost to the day. It is actually almost that. Six years. Six, six years. It was seven. Six or seven. No, because then we do five years, and we did an interview last year, five-year anniversary. Mm, it all blends into one, doesn't it? Maybe it is seven. Two thousand and 
sex. It was seven years, John. No, surely not. Surely not. Seven years. Do you think your life would have been how it is now, seven years ago? Uh, didn't have kids. No, it's a bit different now. A bit different. I wouldn't have picked my life. No? No. Living in your, your multi-million dollar yeah. mansion. I've made my billions, I tell you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have at all. I, I definitely wouldn't have seen how I live life now, but I'm still happy for how I live my life. But mm. um, yeah, so coffee's a wife. Coffee's a wife. Get on it, support. And if you speak some really weird language, which I don't understand, it looks like some... Uh, it's Russian. Yeah, Russian. Go there. Oh, got, got, it looks like they've got Chinese as well. They've got the Russian option. Or Japanese. Japanese. Russian language looks weird, eh? But they do have love there. I think it's Russian. Yeah. Good time, sponsor. Okay. Um, questions. Oh, do you want to say coach's corner? Kind of questions and answers. Questions <laughs> and answers. I was about to say Colin. Oh, the, the, convict. the convict. He's basically saying, John, he's, he's getting a bit annoyed. Yeah. Question, a bit of a rant. Actually, John, you did a rant a couple of weeks ago. And we got emails saying, love the rant. Yeah. People are like, loving your rant. Was that about sub? You got to be able to run sub three if you're a pro, and there was something else in there as well. Yeah, you were pretty angry, whatever it was. Yeah. But see, Bjorn Anderson raced last weekend. Did he? Where? I think um, California. Okay. Yeah, because it's the only race I read about. Right. Didn't, didn't, didn't probably blew around. Is that wrong? Is that? Don't know. Statistically anyway, speaking, it's probably correct. Nice way of getting around that yeah. one, John. Uh, what is the proper etiquette for entering a pool lane? <laughs> Don't jump in front of somebody. Yeah. Um, an open public swim time. I didn't grow up with swim background, so I am not totally sure of what is proper. But to me, it seems appropriate to always let the person in the lane know you want to enter, either by talking to them or standing in the corner of the lane before you hop in and start swimming. Today, in a matter of an hour, I had four separate people enter the lane I was in, and none of them gave me the heads up they were entering the water. I find it's very startling to have someone blow right up in front of me in the opposite way, and when I'm not expecting it, not to mention it's unsafe. I looked up to some info online, and it seems to say that the same thing. You should always make your intentions known, and should make sure everyone is on the same page. Two of the swimmers were very good swimmers, and the other two were just splashing around a bit. The two good swimmers both found it odd that I asked them to please let them know that when they enter the water. What are your thoughts, guys? So, my opinion is on this is if you're going into a public lane. I generally just accept it's going to suck. Disaster zone. Yeah. And, and so the pool that I swim at is just down the hill from Bevan. Um, I swim there once and I go to another pool to do my quality stuff where I know I'm going to have... Is it Jelly Park? At Aqua Gym. Oh, you go to Aqua Gym, do you? Yeah, where I know I'm going to generally have a lane to myself and be able to put in a good session. When I go to the other pool, I just go, you know what? It is Chances it is. are, if I put in a, tr- a tricky main set here, you know, say I want to do, I don't know, 10 200s hard, it's going to be plenty of occasions where I'm going to have to stop Time's going to be screwed up and it's just going to be that way. And you've got to accept that most people swimming um, are not going to have a clue what to do. So I think you've just got to generally take a chill pill, Colin, unfortunately, and uh, and try to join up to a swim squad. And then there is definitely some swim etiquette there. But as you said, um, one thing that I generally do when I get into the pool, I either stand on the side of the pool before I get in or make, other, make pretty sure that I think others have seen that I'm getting into that particular lane so you don't... Um, you don't give them too much, of a, too much of a fright, but I think you've still got to accept that people are just going to jump in and, and start swimming. Um, but if you want to do the proper etiquette, I'd say you, you're on the right path there. A couple of other things that really do bug me, so this is going to be my little Oh, rant. here we go, here we and, go. Uh, Get ready, team. So this is, this is your way of perhaps trying to educate people in your lane um, in some subtle way. You can either tell them to do it or just do it yourself, and hopefully you lead by example. 
if you're going to do drills or kick, stay the hell out of the way of other people doing lap swimming. That really annoys me. Yep. If you're trying, to, if you're swimming along and somebody starts doing kick in a lane, either move to another lane or make sure that you just stay right out of people's lane. Keep the T the clear so people can tumble turn. So by the T, I mean um, where the line, if, uh, most pools will have a line down the middle of the, the lane and then there'll be a line on the end of the end of the uh, the wall and keeping that clear and that's basically people's space to do their tumble turns so stand on either side of that never push off when somebody is coming into turn that is very frustrating Bevan yeah that is frustrating I've had that happen a few yeah. times yeah. especially if you're a slower swimmer than the person that's about to turn yep. and um, when, you, when you're swimming in a, in a public lane with other people try to leave a gap between people typically you want to be leaving a good 5 seconds if you're at around about the same speed if not more but there's nothing worse than somebody swimming up your butt. You don't know if they're trying. If you, if you don't know them, you don't know if they're trying to pass you, or they're, they're just being polite, or they're just sucking on your feet. So try to leave a little bit of a gap there. But in general, main main summary point is, if you go in public swimming, you just got to accept it's it's going to suck. Maybe what you could do is you could go to the pool and ask them to put up some rules, have a mm-hmm. sign up saying these are the pool etiquette. Mm-hmm. You know, like because I think the thing is, like for myself who had no swimming history, you don't have a clue. Oh, you really don't. And I remember mm-hmm. I went, I went because I, I remember I went to Hellman's and I said, oh, I'm thinking about doing Ironman, and he goes, oh, your type won't last. Which I, <laughs> thanks, John. But um, but um, and so then I went along and did Rolly Squad, and and it was it was just like I, well, I hadn't swam in my life, you know, like yeah. it was like I was you know struggling to do a few hundred meters, and um. And it was just a bit overwhelming, and I didn't really know what the heck I was doing, and, and I was a bit lost. And so that that really put me off the idea of doing squads for a while. And then I went to another pool, and you just again you don't know, and you're kind of just trying to find your feet. It's tricky because often people aren't that inviting in terms of giving you the pool etiquette, or they, they feel like you're there. You feel like you're a know it all if you're telling people. Yeah. That. Same thing happens in, in bunch cycling, but there is the expectation that you know you know how to lap it out, and you know with the winds coming that way, you should be lapping it that way, and. And stuff like that. So I maybe, maybe produce your own little flyers and just dish them out of the pool and dish well, them in your back. Exactly. <laughs> Collins tips. The yeah. convict. Put the convict's tips in. They won't mess with you, mate. Exactly. I, mean, I, do, th- I do think it's a good idea to talk to the pool and say, look, you know, these things happen. Is there mm. some way that you can put up a really obvious sign saying, here's some etiquette that you guys should think about. Mm. I remember when I first started cycling, John, I went and did the cop ride, which is a Yep. A local ride, about a three hour ride. And uh, I had a camelback. It's called Worlds these days. Is it the Worlds, is it? Yeah, Worlds Ride. Oh, okay, the Worlds Ride. And um, and I did the, had the camelback. Oh, and one guy, that. well, I didn't know. It and was my your, first long you ride. You have your visor on your helmet too. You had to lose that visor. <laughs> That's just poor form. No, John, it was cool. Anyway, this one guy just gave me crap the whole ride. Like, it's the first ride. And yeah. like, first time we were like with a pack. And I, you know, three hours seemed like an eternity to me, eternity at yeah. that stage. So I wear this camelback the whole time. He just gave me crap. And like just being a smart ass, and I had no rapport with the guy. It wasn't like we were mates. Mm. And then the race came along, and I smashed him. Yeah, and and yeah, I let him know it too. Mm. Anyway, John, um, John, another John. Yep, he's going to be doing Ironman Switzerland in July, and he's just picked up a hamstring injury, so there's no running until the end of April. He could swim and bike as long as he avoids the hills. What's the best training plan come May? Well, Bevan, this is where I'm going to tie in your uh, your, your little topic that we're going to have. Oh, the great ne- topic. Next week's show. <laughs> um, you know, th- I think it's a good opportunity perhaps to, to try some of the things you might normally neglect and not do. Yeah, that's um, a good idea. Tell you what. 
It's a great it's idea. A topic around that one. <laughs> um, so maybe spending a bit more time actually scheduling in some core and flexibility time uh, because that's usually the area where most athletes uh, let themselves down a little bit. And given the time frame of your race, uh, probably wouldn't be a bad idea to do a bit of aqua jogging if that's not going to be something that's going to flare up your hamstring. Um, and, and probably just tying that in with some, some of your swim sessions rather than going to the pool and actually doing an aqua jogging session. You know, finish your swim session up maybe 10 minutes early and, and start building up to some half hour aqua jogs because you are coming into that phase where running is, is re, you know, it's reasonably important. And when you first start back in uh, what is it, the end of May, end of April, you're going to have to build things up slowly. And if you can get that aqua jogging in, it will just help that conditioning a little bit um, for that. In terms of your actual bike workouts, it's quite hard for me to say because it really depends on where you areas of weakness are at um, and, and also when you're injured what things are going to flare up you know I might say go and do a set of um, you know, hill reps on your aero bars but if that's going to flare up your hamstring issue then um, obviously that's not a great idea or going and doing some higher cadence work or some high intensity work um, may flare up your hamstring so I'm a little reluctant to go and, and prescribe particular training sessions or, or what have you um, a general piece of advice though that I think would be a really good thing to do providing endurance workouts and not going to affect your um, your hamstring again is, uh, is is just plan a couple of three day bike weekends or something like that where you're just going you know, at this stage of the year going out for three long rides back to back um, and it'll give you that really nice little level of base before you um, before you hit the main part of your build up John I will say a couple of little quick things just remind first of all Lose expectations on the race because this has totally ruined maybe the goal you had going uh, into. No, well, he's, still got, no, he's, time. he's still got a reasonable amount of time. It's the end of July. Yeah. So, but, but because the problem, but then the problem is, John, if you come back from an injury like a hamstring, it sounds like it's pretty bad, mm. and you're thinking, I want to still to go great. You're gonna you're gonna push the the risk factor, and so I think that you've got to go. Don't be too keen when you get back. You've still got to allow yourself to your body to get back to normal mm-hmm. and, and listen to your you know your medical professionals. And then I think set realistic goals around where you are once you're back into it. So, so you know, like you might have gone, okay, I want to go sub ten, and then you know, at end of April you kind of are back training. That's when you set the goal. You don't set it based on what happened before the injury. And and the the, the overriding thing, whenever anything happens in, in your build up, is you want to be healthy for race day. And if that means compromising a bit of training, so you're doing less running in your build up, but you're going to arrive healthy then that's the best thing. If you get sick um, at some stage during your build-up, whether it be, say, in the last four or five weeks, if it's one of those things that's going to linger around, you're better off having a bit of easier time so you end up to the race uh, race day healthy. It's yeah, it's just so much better off having a little bit easier time and being healthy than, uh, than being smoked and carrying a cough into a race that you've had for a month because you didn't take two days off when you probably should have done... Um, there's nothing that can beat being healthy on race day. John, you talk about endurance travel, and then I've got a couple of little things to talk about after that. So we just got an email through from endurance sport travel. This is mainly if you if you happen to have missed out on a race and you actually want to try to get in somewhere because they obviously buy package deals for, for races. Um, so if you are looking for a race, uh, they've still got slots for Austria, Germany, Lake Placid, uh uh, Whistler um, and Western Australia and Ironman New Zealand um, they've got slots there so they've got sort of between 6 and six, six to 11 slots for most of those races Australia, uh, Western Australia they've got a lot more and, and Ironman New Zealand they've obviously got a lot more because that's only recently gone on sale so if you do want to try to get into a race um, just pop those guys an email they've obviously got package deals and just they'll, they'll tailor something up so um, pop them, tie or Ken an email endurance sport travel Jumbo, last week we did some nicknames, didn't we? 
We did. And you thought you were pretty clever. It might have been you? the week before. I thought it was pretty funny. Because you know when someone thinks they're really funny when they're, they're even smiling before they start talking? Away. It was John. And he's got, got, and then I got an email from Swanee. Yeah. Richard Swanee. Yeah. Speedwalker Swan, some would call him. Speedwalker Swan. He's got a very, I have a very good sense of humor. And anyone knows me, knows that I can tolerate the piss being taken out of me. However, isn't more appropriate that Newsom should get the nickname Speedwalker? This is because he seems to be the only one who has stated to walk, have the aim of walking in a race. With this devotion to the run-walk method, um, with his devotion to the run-walk method, now he seems to have gone a bit silent about this, so it's uncertain whether he uses this. So the question remains, is he willing to put the money with his mouth is, and he's going to run faster, well, I'm just wrapping up what he's saying here, faster than you using the run-walk method? I am... Pretty positive on we're using the run walk method. Have not yet done it in So a, will you be able to take out Swanee? Well, probably not. Oh, so so he's saying maybe you should be Mr. Speedwalker. Well, and, and my reply to Wani was I'll be Swanee was uh, I'll be happy to speedwalk past you on uh, lap lap three of the run. So so the smack talk's happening, isn't yes. it? Yes. So chance. Swanee, I, you said you weren't going to race next year. You have to race. Yeah. That, that's, I've just entered you. So well, I'm not paying. <laughs> um, my fastest marathon, and I think I did a really good job of, was uh, was doing run walk. Chances are I will do run walk for. Do you for think you could do a marathon faster if you just ran? To be confirmed, but I don't think I would have gone any faster on that day um, when I did, did Auckland okay. because it, it really felt to me as I got that micro recovery every. Uh, I think I was doing forty five seconds every three k's, and I did freshen up. The, the, the one area, where, and I've said this before, the one area where I might have changed things ever so slightly would have been in the last 10k. And when I was doing those walks in there, I was struggling a bit to get going after that. Um, so what, you try to run that last 10? Yeah, possibly trying to run more of an even last 10. Um, and that's probably the approach I'll take into Ironman, but I'm going to do a lot of testing on it. And you'll be able to follow that on uh, coachjohnproject2014.com. Check, check um, it out. But my plan at this stage will be to, to walk all the aid stations for around about 40, 45 seconds through aid stations. Good times. John, last week we had an age group of the week, and mm. I haven't showed you this because I thought it was pretty special. I'm going to wait till the show. Mm. And it was Rob Gray. Remember Rob Gray? He had a real struggle yep. to get through to the Ironman. Had you know, crashes and yeah, three fourth, fourth one or something like that, did it? And trucked on through. Remember, he's, he's got some of those Google shares. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. 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 And remember, remember who, sent, who sent it through? Who was the coach? Kevin Cody was Kevin it? Kevin Cody, yeah, Jeez, coach Kevin Cody. Fuck that one out. He <laughs> did well, man. I'm impressed. Kevin Cody, I remember in his, his email signature, he had Age Group of the Week 2007 yeah, or something. Yeah, and, yeah. and I thought, oh, wow, that's really impressive. And I said, from now onwards, that's what people should do. Well, Rob Gray, he's a legend, John. He's just yeah. gone up in my books. Because he's sent an email to every Google person, every G- who's got a Gmail account in the world. Yep. <laughs> did you not get it? <laughs> no, but he's basically saying, after my super long extended session and a mo- uh, multiple unlucky races, I was ecstatic about finally getting my Kona slot. However, that achievement pales in comparison to reaching the pinnacle of our sport and attaining the world-renowned status of Age Grouper of the Week. Coach Kevin tells me that his was 2007 age group of the week status completely revolutionised his life yeah. and, and that's feedback we get often so it's yes. not it's understandable I have now added age group of the week to his email signature so look this is his Google signature and he's got Rob Gray he's got his email address and he's got A-G-O-W 2013 and then he's got his extension number at the bottom of his signature but it gets better team then he's done his business card for Google this is business card for Google <laughs> Rob nice. Gray global product managing marketing guy He's obviously pretty hyped there, John. <laughs> <laughs> He's doing all right for Give us a bit of Google advertising <laughs> oh, there. Anyway, he put us at the front of the page. 
And uh, he's got the amphitheater, he's got where he's based, he's got his email address, and he's got AGOW 2013 on his business card. There you go. Mate, Rob Gray, you're a legend. You're an IM Talk legend. That's right. So, so he's just set a new standard, hasn't he? Yes. Sure, Coach Kevin did it as well, but this is the standard. If you've been in age group of the week ever in your life... On your business card. On your business card or your email signature. Mm. And just put it there because people will go, What's they'll probably just think it's some qualification, eh? If Richard Swan put Speedwalker Swan <laughs> on his business card, mate. <laughs> hey, that's a, it's a conversation star. What's the Speedwalker thing? Boom, icebreaker. You're, you're into it. <laughs> the, the chicks will be lining up. I'm helping out, Swanee. <laughs> so there, Rob Gray, you're a legend, mate. You've just gone up in my books, I tell you. Uh-huh. So there you go. That's, that's Rob Gray. Um, John, bro, just a couple. Are we going to do, are we gonna do finishes? Uh, we might as well. There's only, there's only a handful on there. Um, so if you look under Bevan, if you look under the folder, I've got. Fin- uh, Where the, do I go? The, the, the Dropbox? Sh- have, you, have you done that for me, have you? Yeah, yeah. Sh- show, notes, show notes. 2013 show notes. And then there's a finishes file. Uh-huh. In April, April 2nd. 20, okay, so I am talk. We use Dropbox, guys. What we do is we both share a folder. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty happy, isn't yeah. it? 2013 show notes. Finishes. Where do I go? Finishes. Look at that. Yeah, April 2nd. April 2nd. Look at this. You'd be so pretty we're, sharp. We're not going to um, give people names for Melbourne because the sum is short. Yeah, unfortunately. And you're still an Ironman. Like, that's bullshit that people think, oh, it's not really, you're not an Ironman. You basically, you've done an Ironman, but the time is kind of irrelevant um, because it doesn't, doesn't count. But you still no, unfortunately it doesn't. So you don't get the nickname. Craig Kirkwood. Craig Kirkwood, he did Ironman New Zealand as well, didn't he? No, he didn't. Oh, he didn't. No, he's done Ironman New Zealand. He's done very well. One is a he's fast one runner. Trip, fast runner. Would he beat you in the run? Uh, well, his current run times will be um, possibly not, but around about the same. I think I think he ran three oh seven over in Melbourne. So, yeah, Craig, I'll take you down. Um, <laughs> he's laying if, it if, down. If we, I love it. If, if we went for a straight running race, he would spank me silly. Because he's done like a 220 or something stupid like that. Something like that, yeah. yeah. Probably quicker. Yeah. yeah. Pretty fast. Oh, so we're not, because well, no nicknames. Was it a PB, John? A35. Yes, it was. I think they're all going to be. Well, no, one person, pe- one person hasn't. But most people have. At 30 minutes on, 905 for Craig. Pretty solid. Yeah, it's pretty good. Oh, so we're going to say at 30 minutes on? Ballpark. Okay. Gareth Flynn. He's got a nickname, but he can't remember it. Oh. We're sharpening up with the love. Yeah, let me see if I can find that. You, you carry on with a couple of these. The last week's one I haven't put on there yet. But anyway, um, he did. 10 hours and 29 seconds and obviously he wasn't too happy with that because he's got a few explanation marks oh, next to no. it but John it was a PB <gasps> love your work nice you do the next one Paul Hackett he did Ironman Melbourne he did 9.15.7 so he just beat Gareth by a few minutes and he's loving that as well he got a PB as well can't, f- can't find Gareth Charles Nickel, all black <gasps> nice he uh, 8.51 yeah got that sub 9 yeah claim it nice <laughs> and there was a PB as well and then we got Adrian Moy, Adrian Moy, and he did Fui Fui. I thought I gave him that name, Fui Fui. Okay, and he did a twelve ten, yeah. no, a ten twelve. Sorry, get that run right away. And uh, yes, there's a PB, and then we had Erica Witzel. I'd go with that. Yep, and she did Ironman Melbourne, and she did a ten twenty five, and it wasn't a PB, so she smoked it before John. <laughs> yeah, she has. Yeah, because yeah, it's pretty quick. Yeah, you know, if she's gone faster than that with as fast slow course. Yeah. Love your work, Erica. Nice. So those are the Ironman talk finishes. I am talk finishes. I am talk even. Yeah. Uh, what's happening, Bevan? John, just a couple of things. Mm-hmm. Um, go to Facebook. I think we should talk about... Okay. Um, John. Yes. If you want to get the show emailed to you, remember to go to www.iamtalk.me. Mm-hmm. Lots of people are signing up for that, which I love. Mm-hmm. If you want um, to email us, it's iamtalkpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, that's all good. And John, anything happening on Facebook? Uh, let's have a Anyone bit saying of, anything? It's a bit of a squizzle here. I'm just checking out what people are saying on Facebook. 
Probably could have done this a little better. Pete peed a little better. Um, oh, Legends of Triathlon is out. Uh, oh, yeah, Kuru is uh, this this month's interviewee. We've also got our Blue Seventy wetsuit auction that is currently up and running. If you go to our Facebook page or go to Legends of Triathlon, there is a link there. And Frank McVeigh, you're the most impatient person on our Facebook page. Any sign of the first, Legends podcast? First of the month, Frank. First of the month. 29th of March. It doesn't come out on the 29th of March. It comes out on the 1st of April, NZ time. We first, love you, Frank, for sharpen up. Yeah. Mike goodness. Smith, he's just got very funny. Not what you're... Not quite sure of that. Maybe you're, maybe you're telling others about us. Yes. There's also a... Um, what the hell is your affirmation sheets, Bevan? Well, no, from my other podcast. Oh, okay. John, you should, do not listen to fitness behaviour. <laughs> Yeah, I listen to it all the time. Just I've just got a short memory. That's, that's all. That's right. Yeah. So I might do a memory one for you. Yeah, go ahead. There you go. Um, John, what's your goss? What's my goss? Uh, it's good bouncy castle. Tell me about it. Yes, so I've got to. We're going to leave here straight away, and I've got to go pump up the bouncy castle. For, Using the foot pump? No, no. Imagine that. Yeah, foot pump. Yeah, be up all night. We had <laughs> when we had the New Zealand schools triathlon the week before last right, let's get, let me guess you said them oh, can I get it for this and give me a cheap break? no no this is when I was organising it and we had to pump up the swim boys and I couldn't, we couldn't find the pump anywhere and somebody had a foot pump and they tried to start pumping up the swim boys with a foot pump and we were just looking we did it for about a minute and I just said that's not, it's not happening so what did you do we found the pump <laughs> Um, what else is happening Bevan uh, this weekend going up to Auckland doing the ITU race up there looking forward to that did a little simulation on uh, Sunday morning with the Feeling Holy good. Hammer and fit the Philinator it, it, yeah I'm, I'm okay if I can run so what you did a triathlon we swam at Pioneer so it was a 1500 um, and I think I just did a, just 20, nearly 21 minutes so it was, it was okay it was you know, 123 well, what did the Holy like Hammer do Oh, they were a few minutes behind out of the swim. Yep. Well, they, I gave them a head start and we all started the bike together. So if I can, I'm not really sure what I can do in the swim, but don't have very high expectations. And bike, if I can if I can sit around 270 watts, I'll be happy. Don't know what that's going to mean time-wise or anything like that. They've changed the bike course. Bit of a last-minute change on the bike course. Oh, really? Why? Um, <laughs> they claim, now we've got the course that we everybody really wanted. And uh, <laughs> it's like, well. <laughs> so really? it's, now, it's now a four lapper course and we, we bike around town and you basically bike along the waterfront and then you sort of go up Albert Street and down Queen Street which is a, it's a very much a town town course but should be quite fast except for all the U-turns um, should be pretty smooth roads so we kind of cool biking through downtown Auckland um, but the other course would have been really nice as well so if I can bike 270 watts I'll be, I'll be pretty happy I don't know how fast that'll be and how competitive that'll be and then run if I can run 340s so wait you're going to race you're going to bike on watts not based on what's happening in the race a uh, bit of both just depends I don't, okay. depends where, where I'm at I'm not I'm, I'm going to ride more to feel um, but that's about what I expect I can ride around about 270 275 watts and if I can run 340s I'll be happy that's only going to give me probably about 36 and a half 10k but if can run that I'll be satisfied and just see what happens I wouldn't say my fitness is uh, is incredible but it is what it is and I'll go out there and race hard as I can and see what comes out of it but it'll be a good weekend watch the elite race get up fly up Saturday morning get in time just in time to see the elite race and then uh, Belinda's going with you isn't she yeah the wives are coming and then go out Sunday night cut. Sunday night yeah we'll race a Sunday morning go oh, out Sunday night oh. come back Monday what are you going to do Sunday night casino uh, well, maybe we could go there later on. That's not a bad idea. Yeah, because where else were you going on Sunday night? That was restaurants. Oh, for food, I yeah, suppose. Yeah. 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 So it should be good times. How did Easter go down at home? Good. Blinda made some Easter eggs. and uh, did it go? That was good. Honestly? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We can get lint. If, if any of you are dairy-free um, and soy-free as well, lint, 70% uh, chocolate is... Is enough 
is uh, is gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free, nut-free, everything free. It's just free. Do you get yeah. it for free? <laughs> Unfortunately not. Have not arranged a sponsorship deal no, yet. he's working on it. Uh, that's about it, Bevan. Felicity turns four today. Exciting times. Four? Mm. Wow. Mm. Wow. School next year? Yep. Yep. It's a plan. Homeschool. Homeschool. <laughs> we were Triathlon 101 <laughs> every day. <laughs> Going to run around the block. <laughs> we, we, were, we were in Wanaka this weekend. We took a bunch of runners down there. It was a really cool weekend, actually. We had, I think, 80 runners in this race. Where's the run course go for Wanaka? It's a pretty fast course because it's pretty much downhill. You go from the cold in a pub. Oh, really? Yeah. So oh, goodness. The yeah. skin PBs made us look great. Yeah. And uh, um, we stayed with – it was cool, man, because like, we, we took 80 runners, and I mm. think there's only 300 runners. We basically hit a third of, of the participants, mm. so we kind of dominated the race. It was great. But anyway, um, we were staying with this couple who were a little bit older, um, or probably in their 70s, mm. and uh, we were staying with Joe's auntie, but another couple were staying there as well. And their kids homeschool their kids, mm. and you could tell that the parents weren't happy with the fact that their grandchildren weren't being homeschooled at all. <laughs> they weren't cool on that idea at all. <laughs> so, um, but that was cool. We went to Wanaka. What else happened, John? I did eat a lot of chocolate. Yeah, let myself some cream eggs. Yeah, still got a couple. Do you want a cream egg? I would actually. I haven't had any Easter eggs okay, at all. I'll give you a cream egg. That'd be go great. Home. Yeah, it's good. And then uh, did you did you scorn on your mother again for her giving the kids too many Easter eggs? Or I suppose you weren't here. No, we did it on Tuesday night, John. Mm. That's why I got so many cream eggs. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's why I did. Yeah. Um, nothing else really happened, really. Not much. Mm. I've got no real gossip. Just breaking that bloody pen. Oh, I'm playing in a band? Nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're still waiting on this this album or whatever that you're producing. Wait a second. I can play a song for you. Now, me and Porno made a song a little while ago and I was listening to it and it was quite cool. It's about making love, John. Just plug it on the end of the show. Just we'll do what, the, you, you do the outro. It? No, I want to go. I've got to go set up stuff. <laughs> I need to record it properly I've got an hour and 17 minutes I've got to get home I've got to make uh, How many kids you got coming? About 11, 12 Oh you're in trouble mate I've got to, I've got to make pa- What food pancakes. are you getting for them? Well we've, that's the thing we've got to be, I've got to go home and make my, my buckwheat pancakes Buckwheat Buckwheat pancakes that sounds really appealing Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> And I've got to put up the bounce castle And I've probably got to do a supermarket run as well So I've got an hour and hour and 16 minutes now to So do then that. what else happened to me on the weekend? <laughs> <laughs> yeah Okay, that's pretty much us, guys. Remember, Legends of Triathlon's out. Who have we got? Paulikuru. Paulikuru. And, and can I announce who we've got next month? Um, Go on. Yeah, okay. Brad Bevan. Yeah, that's the plan. And what you know was really cool up. was Peter Coulson was on Facebook this week saying Brad Bevan's greatest of all time. Well, he has been in the news a little bit because Why? he, um, last week or the week before, he did get inducted into the Triathlon Hall of Fame or something in Australia. Um, oh. So maybe a little bit, a bit out there, but I wanted to get him on anyway and just popped him an email. And uh, he said, yep. So I'm really fascinated about Brad Bevan because he was the guy who, when I first became aware of triathlon, mm. like I didn't know anything about triathlon. Then Hamish Carter was on Clash of the Codes, mm. which was a big program in New Zealand. And so suddenly you knew Hamish Carter. And so then he'd get on news. And so then occasionally they'd have triathlon on TV at that time. And Brad Bevan was, obviously because my last name, his last name was the same as my first. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of remembered it. But he was always seemed to be the guy who was really great. And then... Since I came into triathlon, you never really heard of Brad Bevan. Mm. So, found out about he didn't make the Olympics in 2000. Why didn't he make the Olympics? Well, that's what we're going to find out. I can't quite remember. He didn't, he didn't meet. Uh, was it that he was getting past it or? A uh, bit of both, really. There was just so many good Aussie guys. And um, at that time, there was probably a you know, Macca didn't make it and he was like the world champion from 98 or something. And uh, so there was a lot, there was probably about six, to, six or eight Aussie guys that would have, could have made the team. And just How many of those guys could have meddled? All of them. Really? Yeah, yeah. 
And none of them did. <laughs> did any of them? Was there no, mess- none of them did. Was there a massive aftermath? Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah, there was court cases and everything. They have court cases in Australia everywhere. It sounds like, everybody in Australia, it sounds like Triathlon Australia is just incredibly dysfunctional. Oh, really? And uh, they just, yeah. It sounds like, Yeah. Good but, to be Kiwi. Uh, it's easy to criticise bloody organisations when they generally haven't got enough money but it sounds Do you know what, like, John, like, like I've got a running business and, and you kind of go you look at running clubs and, and it's so nice to have a business where you go you know what I'm making a decision and mm. not have to kind of go to 10 people and you know mm. like it's much harder when you're dealing with lots of personalities mm. isn't it so mm. Iron Rust I mean, nope. train hard train smart Kia Kaha. Kaha.